This podcast is sponsored by Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash GOT and using promo code GOT. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 7, Episode 1, titled Dragonstone. This is the full recap. We did a, an instant take. Feels like it's five minutes ago. Right. Uh, that's kind of how this season goes. It's uh, back to back to back here. Uh, but we're going to get a lot more in-depth on this one. So if you enjoyed the instant take, stick around. This one will probably be a lot longer, but uh, hopefully more enjoyable. I'll guarantee it'll be longer than 20-some minutes. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of this first episode? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I this is just like your your run of the mill season opener, Game of Thrones. Like it's, I, and I, I'm why I, I the only reason I guess I was a little underwhelmed is because I heard from many many sources that like all seven episodes are going to be crazy, go nuts, and yeah, and I guess. I, I guess that's the thing is that um, like I, I guess it is kind of crazy because because Arya literally murdered the entire Frey family. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. And Danny came back to Dragonstone. I guess if I'm the double D's and I'm telling people, oh, it's going to be all crazy go nuts. Those are all crazy go nuts things. Yeah. But I guess our expectations were going to be you know big battles and epic. Things yeah. Like when they that. talked about the budget, right? Like ah, oh, the budget's never been bigger. We yeah. have to cut it into this smaller thing because each one's going to be so expensive. And... But there were even then there was like a two minute effect shot of ice yeah. zombies and ice giants that were awesome, and there was a lot of epic mm-hmm. stuff with the dragons. So it's not like they didn't spend anything. No, certainly. And then um, you know baseline Game of Thrones is expensive as hell because of the, mm-hmm. its travelogue kind of nature. So I felt like that. A lot of people were a little un- like pleased, but uh, underwhelmed by what they saw. And I, and and the other thing is, um, you know, knowing there's only seven episodes, mm-hmm. I guess there's a sense of urgency that hasn't been in the first the early goings of of a season in a long time. What what did you think on second thought? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I agree with you. It's pretty much you know a standard Game of Thrones season opener, but. All the season openers so far have been pretty good, yeah? Right, right. I mean, it's not like that's a real complaint. It's just, you know, with the expectations that they set up, maybe that's on them a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I I definitely felt, like, slightly underwhelmed by it, Uh even though big big things are happening. And I think they're... They're moving things along at a nice pace, right? I mean, Arya very quickly, like we didn't see any setup or anything. We just see all the phrase gathered, all the phrase dead. Right. Boom. It, it's over with. Danny gets there. There's no battle or anything, which, you know, I have some problems with, but she takes Dragonstone. Right. It's hers. Um, and she wants to get down to business. I feel like things are moving. Um, so I'm satisfied in that regard. Yeah, so I'm saying, like, I, I imagine if I'm in the double Ds and I'm looking at the internet reaction. I'm like, Jesus Christ, we. <laughs> right. The body count and the fact that Danny's finally here and, like, the fact yeah. that she's not been here for six seasons is not our fault. Like, we. we we brought it here that there there might be like myth that there's this like, oh, what have you done for me lately kind of vibe. Especially mm-hmm. since the show's been gone so long that um, I feel like if you're not a hardcore fan, you might be a little bit more lost than usual because it's been such a long time since we've had uh, New Game of Thrones. Yeah. Which 
I thought the other thing I really noticed um, is that I thought the previously ons were particularly good. Yeah, they helped like, a lot. Like like they're and, and and not just the shot selection, but like I felt like there's a lot of production. Like yeah, they, they did some editing on it. Exactly. They they it wasn't just your stock Game of Thrones intrigue music with a bunch of random in, you know disconnected scenes. Like it felt like they shot. You know, a warm up trailer for this particular episode, and I wonder if they'll keep doing that, or if that was just like, okay, we've been gone for a year and a half, mm-hmm. we really got to give people a Game of Thrones booster shot. And they did a cold open, which they don't do a lot, right? So sure. let's get people right in this. Let's not hit them with you know the right, HBO right. and then the Game of Thrones music, and right. let's just give it to them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I overall I'm satisfied with it. I thought it was a good episode. Yeah. Uh, I, are we ready for the recap, or do you have I more that you want to talk about? I feel like we're ready for the recap. Okay. I mean, it's arguable that the instant take is essentially a very long, cold open recap for the episode <laughs> itself. So, right. Yeah, let's, we'll let's just get... put the instant take at the beginning from now there on. There you go. There you go. Call it good. Oh, I, I guess I do have a couple of things. Uh, did you see the... Did you see the um, da- or, uh, the, the, the watchers, the, the ratings that this show got? No, I haven't. Uh, over seven, Just over 17 million people... <laughs> Wow. Watched it, watched it on HBO Go or DVR'd <laughs> it um, in the first 24 hours, huh. which I think means that they're officially bigger than The Walking Dead now. At, yeah. it's, at its height, yeah. at its height, and at then if you had piracy and all that stuff, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, in related news, the Game of Thrones podcast by Bald Move is the number two podcast <laughs> right? in all of iTunes. It's crazy. <laughs> Has that ever happened? I don't think we've ever cracked a top ten. I think we have but certainly not on episode one of a season like, right we shot the to the top take i couldn't believe it. one yeah i was looking um i was looking at the top podcast thinking okay who do we have to beat this season uh-huh. <laughs> right like there's the malcolm gladwell malcolm Gladwell's, there's the serials yeah. that somehow perpetually stays right. at the top right uh and, and i looked at it and i was like well, that can't be right when i looked it was number three but then I saw David Chin sent us a nice message saying congrats on number two. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's uh, only Malcolm of House Gladwell that stands in our way. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> no, it's this uh, Wondery podcast. Uh, about, I don't know. It's one of those like audio drama type, right. or audio true crime things. Mm. Um, we got fake crimes. Yeah, I was excited. We got fake crimes and fake dragons. We we will beat their true crime <laughs> before yeah. before the season's over. And I guess you could use that as like a moment to pimp hey if you like our show leave an itunes review yeah we, we gotta beat that dirty malcolm gladwell that's right beat him that's into right. submission uh we'll show <laughs> we got ten thousand hours of podcasting expertise <laughs> <laughs> i don't think he's got it he's got we're a ram it right up best. Best. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna take our mastery of it and ram it right up his his, his bunghole yep uh, all right now now i'm ready that sounds good Hey, uh, before we go further into the episode, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. And first, uh, since this is the first episode of the uh, season seven, I know we have a lot of new people tuning in. Uh, just a brief introduction. Uh, I am one of the hosts, Aaron, and I have uh, been a fan of the show since the beginning. Uh, I got into the books uh, between seasons one and two. I've read all the books. I've read all the weird ones. Uh, I've read the previews for the upcoming book. I've got the World of Ice and Fire uh, encyclopedia on my shelf to my to my left. Uh, I, I I bring I bring the in depth book analysis and lore. Too much lore. Too too much lore to shake even a stick at. Yeah, I'm, I don't do the lore. I just I'm I watch the show. Who the hell I are enjoy you? It. Uh, Jim. There you go. <laughs> some some call me by my last name, but it's not as good. Uh, but yeah, I've I've only seen the show. I don't I don't truck with the books. 
Although I know more and more about the books since we've been doing this spoiler edition. Yeah, I used to, uh, on Fridays, I'd do the spoiler edition by myself, by my lonesome. Uh, yeah. Since the book started overtaking, or the show started overtaking the books, Jim has uh, joined me on those Friday journeys. So he uh, he's he's more hep than your average uh, show watcher cat. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's here to say, what the fuck, when I, when I get way off into the weeds. Um, as far as housekeeping, uh, Bald Move is, is all Game of Thrones all the time now. Uh, Sunday night, instant take. Tuesday night, main cast. Friday, or not Tuesday night, Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Friday afternoon, spoiler edition. Uh, which, you know, adventuresome book reader or show watchers are welcome. Uh, you can't be too spoiler-phobe. We're not going to talk about just naked show spoilers, but there is a lot of still stuff, hints and prophecies in the books that have not had a full fulfillment, and there might be some 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 stuff... You'll learn there. So if you're a complete spoiler phobe, miss it. But if you're fairly adventuresome, you can you can check it out. Uh, we also have Dunkirk, mm-hmm. the latest by Inception, Memento Man. Uh, I'm stalling because I've – oh, Christopher Nolan, <laughs> uh, his, his World War II uh, epic that we're going to be looking at on Thursday night. We'll have a podcast out before Thursday night is over. Uh, we have just a spoiler-free review and discussion of upcoming movies. And then we also have a spoiler-filled review for the club members at club.ballmove.com. Also for club members, tomorrow is Bad Guy Javi, the finale, the thrilling climax of Telltale Seasons 3 playthrough that we've done. Uh, how how low can we sink? How bad can we make uh, Javi go when we're on Telltale's rails? The answer might surprise you. Look at how you <laughs> – have, have you ever seen clickbait in a podcast? There's nothing to click on. <laughs> right. Top seven sh- terrible things Javi did in this season of Walking Dead. Uh, then we all- I also have a Twin Peaks podcast. I'm recording that uh, with uh, Shane Bowman tonight. I know I said that was last week, but uh, Freak Storm, f- Freak Electrical Storm took out Shane's power when we were sat down to record it. So that's very Twin Peaks. <laughs> uh, but that'll come out sometime this week, too. Uh, so that's what's going on at baldmove.com. We start off with Walter Frey uh, having gathered the entire family of Freys for a feast. Yeah. And he poisons them all and then, surprise, surprise, pulls off his face to reveal that it's been Arya the entire time. Right. Uh, This, like I said, is a cold open. Uh, I really felt like Arya mastered the Walder much better than I did at the Red Wedding ceremony. Mm. Uh, She's got it down. Like, she even turns to the daughter and instead of, like, Hey, I'm trying to spare you. Right. Don't drink the wine; it's poisoned. It's That's like, ah, oh, there's a dirty whore, a woman. I'm not going to give her my wine. Right, right. Like, <laughs> she's Ar- got the attitude. Arya doesn't break doesn't break character to the commentary. No. Um, or until every every last chicken in the room is dead. Uh, yeah. I feel like that there. This is going to we're going to see memes of this for generations to come. To leave the one wolf alive and the sheep are never safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of mix-ups of wolves and Arya and that quote with cool gothic <laughs> Game of Thrones font, and it's going to be on Facebook and t-shirts. Probably and a minion will be saying it before too long. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I liked it. I thought that David. They, they mentioned this in the um, you know the behind the scenes, but David Bradley, who plays Walter Frey. I think did a particularly fine job of, um, you know, kind of blending the Arya with the Walder. Yeah. Until at the end, and, and like the Arya, as as she saw the poison take effect, was more and more brazen about. And I, mm-hmm. I thought, I, I it's always, I always am tickled when I see like Ewan McGregor doing a a, um, a McGinnis impersonation. I don't know why right. that, but anytime I see a famous person. In, uh, you know, imp- impress being given an impression of another famous person. It mm-hmm. always seems like a magic trick. Yeah, and this is a particularly good one. 
Yeah. Uh, what do you say to the idea that this would have been a hell of a lot more powerful without the Arya reveal of last season? The Arya reveal? Oh, where she was the, the woman who yeah. brought the pie in. Right. Because um, that was one of the recurring yeah, the criticisms and the feedback, the fact that... Now, I don't know whether I'm just dumb or willing to go with the shows, but I, I, when this thing opened up, I thought it was either going to be a flashback mm-hmm. to establish context of what was about to happen or p- potentially Bran like, catching up on current events that he, he, he might have missed. Yeah, I was with you. I was on flashback mode, flashback right. watch. Right. And when it turned out to be you know, Arya in present day, I, right. I was happy. I mean, I was, I was, I was keyed into his, to what was going on before she ripped her face off. But so, so that's the thing. If you were on this, the, from, from the jump, then mm-hmm. maybe it was tedious, but maybe. I, I wasn't, I was fooled. I was too. Now I do hope that they don't go to this well too many times because right. that's the danger here. Is they could get mission impossibly real quick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, this is my fear of fantasy where, Essentially, there's magic, and yep. they hand wave the rules yep. away and say this happened. Just deal with it. Especially poorly defined magic, which such is as what we have here with the faces. The faces, yeah. Men. yeah, yeah. So they either need to not do this very often at all, uh-huh. or they need to more clearly define those rules right. for the, the faces, and then I'll be on board. Right. But I mean, it would be awesome to have a scene where like Arya meets with the brothers and sisters, and they're like, "Oh, this is sweet. Just march up to Cersei as Jamie and put a knife right in her." Between her bazooms, and she's like, eh, it doesn't work that way because X, Y, Z. Yeah. That just defining limits on this power would be nice because otherwise, I think you're going to get Arya ripping off to Tom Cruise, who rips off his face to L. Ron Hubbard, and mm-hmm. then what? <laughs> Zenu's next. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it's, it was, uh, I, I, I thought it was a great scene. Yeah. So the White Walker is continuing. Oh, wait. Yeah. Can we talk about the map? Because there's a lot of new things about the map. Not, number one, the Citadel, which I don't believe we've ever seen before. Oh, the intro, yeah, yeah. Um, but the fact that we didn't have to jump across to the the, the narrow sea to Essos, or mm-hmm. do we have to go to the Do- Dorne, right? Um, made things a lot like they really remixed the the intro, and there's a lot of different beats that are remixed because the camera movements were entirely different. So I feel like this is the most different uh, credit sequence we've ever saw. Rarely seen things like Dragonstone and Twins, plus the the new Citadel plus the lack of, you know, the camera just jumping all over the world, I thought was was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm I was watching that thinking, "Oh, there's a new town, old town." And right. I I wasn't sure about that because Sam got there last year right. and I was like, "Is was it on the intro last yeah, year?" I don't think it was. I didn't remember seeing it, but I could be wrong. I also yeah. think that the tower, the Citadel's lighthouse looks so much like the tower of Barad-dûr from The Lord, Lord of the, the Rings. Rings. Yeah. Yeah, like especially that nighttime shot. Uh-huh. I was about to be like, Sam, I see you. And, you know, there's going to be a whole bunch of fucking hobbits running around. Yeah. Little Lord, Lord of the Ringy. I, I'm surprised that that got that far in, well, that we actually saw it before anyone being like, can we make it a little less the Black Tower? Yeah. Because uh, it looks it looks less like a welcoming beacon and more like a baleful red eye that sees all. <laughs> sure. Uh, all right. So then we go over to White Walkers. They're continuing their march south. And we see, uh-oh, they have giant whites. Yes. Which tells me that this wall is fucked. Yeah. Like, if one, if with with a full, you know, complement, such as it is, right. of soldiers at Castle Black, mm-hmm. they were able to fend off two giants. Right. And mortal they giants They have at least at three. Right. Mortal giants. They have at least three here. Uh-huh. Uh, Castle Black's not what it used to be, and that's not saying much. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know about this wall, man. 
I don't know about the wall. Although Tormund's headed up there, so maybe he can do some damage. It's going to be cool if the ice zombies, uh, the ice giant zombies formed, like you had five of them, they formed into like a Voltron. Oh, God. Like, uh, like you know, they bite, they like, like two giants bite the hands, other giants bite the feet. I mean, they're zombies. Why couldn't they? They have yeah. an unlimited pain threshold. That's true. And, yeah. you know, a probably commiserate bite force grip. I want to see a, you know, a decept- I want to see a devastator. Might get that. You might zombie. get your wish. One one will form the head once they get to Winterfell. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, anything else on that scene? No. It was cool looking. That's for sure. Uh, those uh, those giants look creepy. Well, and, and they let the scene breathe because it was like two minutes long of just yeah. the Ice King like remember me. Yeah, I'm and what it's all about, guys. Tra- traveling through uh, you know the cloud of of cold essentially right, as right. it comes through. I like that. Uh, then we go to Mira and Bran arriving at the wall where they convince Ed to let them into the castle black with a warning that winter is coming. Bran essentially has to say, like, I I know what you did last summer. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, they let him in. Yeah, it seems uh, foolish for old Ed, the Lord Commander Ed, to do that since, you know, all the glamouring and face swapping and green seeing and yeah. leading into fires. Like, anybody could have that information. Yeah, yeah. I, I really didn't know what it proved. Right. Right. Like, unless you've got a birthmark you can show me <laughs> right. shaped like a dire wolf, I don't want any of it. Yeah, yeah. Not going to yeah. hear it. Uh, then John tells everyone that they need to find, mine, and make weapons from dragon glass, and that they need to train everyone, not just the men to fight. Uh, he sends the free folk north to defend the wall. Um, East Watch by the Sea, I guess, is the class, the castle closest to Hardhome. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he declares that he won't strip the surviving Umbers and Karstarks of their lands, Sansa publicly questions his leadership. Then John asks the Umbers and Karstarks to re-pledge their houses to him, and they do so. Uh, on subsequent watches, I was really paying attention to the level of murmuring and applause. Uh-huh. Um, because I was looking for hints that like maybe John made the wrong decision. But it seems like... Uh, getting a, a, a refreshed oath of loyalty from Ned and Elise uh, Umber and Karstark, respectively, uh, was a real cloud, uh, crowd pleaser. Yeah, uh, the North, the North uh, liked it. I think so, um, and certainly the Umbers and Karstarks. Which I have to say, is he just trying to recruit a new family? Because this this girl looks exactly <laughs> like Sansa, and the kid might look <laughs> like Rickon. Like, uh, yeah, I, a little bit. <laughs> I really think he's just trying to get a new family. A little bit. I did like there was a couple uh, other th- details that uh, the internet was quick to point out, like the fact that they've kept the umber sword consistent. It's got that little um, motif of the two cer- the two rings at the end of its hilt, huh? Okay. Um, or cross guard rather, um, mm-hmm. and that was like goes all the way back to season one of the Great John. Um, so I thought nice. that was that was pretty cool. Um, and I also like I feel like that both John and Sansa have a point here. Mm-hmm. Um, because Sansa's point of, like, if there's no punishment for treason and no reward for loyalty, then then what the fuck? Sure. I just think she's off base. I think he did reward, or he he hasn't rewarded loyalty yet, but the treason couldn't be punished. I mean... The punishment was already complete in yeah. in that they died, yeah. you know? Like, did these kids, the the... Well, and you can see where that and what's her name? Yeah, and you can see where that would appeal, especially to to John, who has been punished for yeah. the sins of his father, quote unquote, um, many many times in his life. Um, I just thought that I was surprised. I mean, I, I I mean, I I also get John's point of like, hey, can you not publicly question my leadership? <laughs> right. But I also thought that um, I don't know, maybe a rejoinder to that would be. Uh, 
you know, maybe her, him and Sansa should have had a little bit more of a talk before they came to this war council and started uh, discussing stuff. And I think that John, uh, the, the, the John would be wise to listen to some of Sansa's more real politic takes on things. Yeah, um, because we've said often in this podcast is how fucking dumb, how deep the stupidity runs in the Stark family. I don't know, a lot, yeah. it's not a popular sentiment, <laughs> but I think it's true, and I think it's canon that the Starks are naive and they trust overmuch in mm-hmm. in in words and oaths and allegiances where they shouldn't. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, you know, I think I agree with John's leadership choice here, but I don't think I agree with the way he's conducting himself sort of behind the scenes um, yeah. with Sansa. Like, they don't seem to be having the conversations. Like, exactly. make a choice. Is she going to be part of this leadership or not? And yeah. if she's not, then don't have her sitting up at that table with you. Yeah, and it reminds me a lot of, like, Rob, it, Rob's know? relationship with his mother. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Cat um, wasn't exactly the wisest of people at all times either, but I felt like sure. she was giving some really good advice to, to Rob that he largely ignored um, to his peril. Yeah, um, you know she's she did some crazy stuff too, like taking upon herself to set free Jamie, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of missteps that she took too. But you know, part of that was probably because she felt like you know she wouldn't. I mean, yeah, you can't she was just, desperate. She was desperate. She didn't think Rob would go for it, and she was didn't want her fail. I, I I understand, but it does seem like yeah, the Starks could use a, with a little bit of you know getting some private counsel before you address everybody in Moss. Yeah. Um, and I, I, think I do that... think Sansa's points are also valid. Like yes. there are things that he needs to consider, um, but she doesn't know if he has considered them because she hasn't had a discussion with him, and that's that's the most important thing. Right? Are you so. liking Miss Mormont more this season? Uh, not really. No. Yeah, she's still a little too authoritative for it's my the, taste. It's, the, it's she's the internet's internet's darling. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, and at the end of the scene, there's a look from Littlefinger, which looks like he has spotted an opportunity, mm. which he tries to capitalize on later. It doesn't go so well. We will see. We will see. Yeah. Um, so John tells Sansa not to question his orders in public again. Um, there's this whole discussion up on the bridge. She says she wants him to be smarter than Ned and Rob, so he won't die. And a message arrives from Cersei demanding John's loyalty. And Sansa warns John that Cersei is more of a threat than she seems. I, I like... The finger pointing here. No, you're just like Joffrey. No, you're just like Cersei. <laughs> right, right. Like, come on. Right. It would be, yeah, you're right. There's a symmetry there that's not, it seems like, um, it seems like the the writers aren't necessarily playing fair because they're given, uh, and I, I don't know if that's deliberate because, you know, one of the big fears I have is that Sansa's going to revert the form and, mm-hmm. you know, deal with her brother treacherously and that's going to lead ultimately to her downfall. Um, because they have a good point. They have good points. Like, you know, Rob is, or not Rob, um, John is scared to death of the Night King because he's met them and he sees what he can do. Yeah. Uh, Sansa's scared to death of Cersei because she lived under, you know, her rule and mismanagement and she knows what she's capable of. And her point of, I mean, they both have good points. Like, there's already the wall. Yeah. Like, you know, the wall will protect us from the north, but there's nothing to the south. And then, of course, you know, again, John's got a good point where, like, well, there's a thousand miles of brutal winter ruggedness between us and the, the Lannisters. So mm-hmm. which is the bigger threat? And it kind of comes down to their own familiarity, which is, yeah. seems like it's true to life. I think so. Um, they both have experience with different things. Did you Did you notice Sansa's hair? What about it? A lot it? of people approach that the fact that she's got, uh, during the scene where she is talking about 
uh, looking up to Cersei, or at least learning things from Cersei, that she's wearing Cersei's hairstyle that she had up until she got her hair chopped off. Hmm. I the don't twin remember braids what it was. pulled back. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I thought that was supposed. I mean, I. It's either foreshadowing or it's the it's it's the writers and the 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 costuming people um, wanting us to worry about Sansa. Yeah, because I'm I'm a little worried about her. I am too, but maybe not for the reasons that everybody else is. Okay. Um, we'll get to that here in a couple scenes. But first, we're going over to Cersei. Um, she's painted a new map on the courtyard on the ground in the courtyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's preparing for war. It appears she tells Jamie that Tyrion's working with Danny, and they're on their way to take the throne. And asks him how they should proceed with securing their dynasty. Uh, Jamie says they have to secure allies, but Cersei's already working on it. Then we'll get to their her ally here in a second. Yeah, um, I thought it was interesting that Cersei uh, deliberately used like every gendered slur you can against women, like Ilaria Sand and her brood of bitches, Elena's the old cunt, the uh-huh. Sands is the murdering whore. It's like, woo, three for three. Yeah, you don't want to hear what people would say about you, Cersei. <laughs> right, is there is there like a tripart portman, though, that we can just put all those? <laughs> right. Banor, Banor, she's a Banor. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I thought, that in subsequent watches, I thought Jamie's relationship with Cersei is very much like a smaller male spider approaching the large... Because he... I, I, it made a little bit more sense that I don't think he's completely on board with Cersei, but he's looking at like, okay, I've already thrown away my entire honor to keep this damn city from being burnt up. Uh, mm-hmm. I now have a Mad Queen situation. Uh, I just can't come in there. You know, she's got the mountain. I can't come in there with my offhand and sword her to death. Uh, and I'm not saying even think, but he's he's trying to do, I think, what he thinks is right for the realm. Uh, in, the, yeah. in, in the hand that they're dealt. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, like, like, like Jamie tries to go to the one thing that's her, you know, like, like, like Tyrion said, you've got two redeeming qualities, your cheekbones and your love for your children. Mm-hmm. Jamie goes to that well, and she shuts it down. Tom had betrayed me. Yeah, with his suicide, which I that actually kind of like made me take a step back. I'm like, wow, Cersei, that's now she's just got the cheekbones. Yeah, the 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 way she views this whole situation is crazy to me. Yeah, uh, and I I don't know. They're they're gonna have to do a little bit more with Jamie and Cersei's relationship. I I do like like you said earlier how he's kind of tiptoeing around the situation, and it becomes even more apparent in these next this next scene with Euron, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we should get there. Cersei and Jaime are watching the Greyjoy fleet sail into the bay, and Jaime's questioning whether they can trust him. Once he lands, Euron trades some words with Cersei and Jaime before being turned away when he proposes an alliance, and he vows to return with a priceless gift to win the alliance. Um, so throughout the conversation here, he the thing I love about it is he's constantly taking digs at Jaime. Mm-hmm. Right, like I'm here with a fleet in two good hands. Right, uh, Jamie looks over at Cersei, like, "Are you buying this shit?" Yeah, when... and then he says, "You should try murdering your brother. It feels great." Uh huh. Uh-huh. And Jamie's like, his eyes bug out of his head. Really? Yeah, like every single You're time, some, slide? like 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 Jamie mugs and it came like a wiggle, wiggle, whoa, you know, <laughs> right. what's going on? Um, oh, it's so good. But then again, to be fair, Jamie's given as good as he gets. Like he t- says that the Iron Islanders yeah. are a bitter little people who can steal things. They only steal things they can't build themselves. Mm-hmm. I guess I can build a thousand warships. Um, Holy shit, those boats are awesome. The boats are awesome looking, and I'm wondering what the hell is going on with that little thing they got up front. 
Are they the jaws meant, of life looking thing? I was gonna say, are they meant to ram other boats I and take the impact? I don't know if that's like seizes its boat in its jaws and then they just storm it or like it's it's going to the. I mean, dragon catchers. I would think that the naval battle would be amazing, except for it seems like uh, you know uh, air superiority is yeah. the death of a naval fleet, and Danny's got it. She does. So I, I even with a you know as a. Does does Danny got a hundred or three hundred ships? I feel like she's got like three hundred ships. So even with a you know three to one numerical superiority, it's like, it feels like the dragons are just going to be the equalizer. They should be, yeah. But uh, um, I don't know. They're wanting it to be. They're wanting it to be a big threat. Yeah, I guess the one thing that the Iron Islanders probably have going for them, Euron and Cersei, I guess, um, is surprise, right? Mm-hmm. Like I suppose they don't know that they've got the fleet yet. That's true. So maybe they pearl, can be a Pearl Harbor situation. Yeah, like trap them in Blackwater Bay or something, Bomb. and yeah, why the dragons are still on the landing strips, just bomb them. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> they're waking He's... up. I haven't had my coffee yet. <laughs> I haven't had my six sheep for the day. They like a hot. They like a McDonald's drive-through window hot. <laughs> they do. Um, Cersei also what? has a terrible poker face. Well, you can see her getting like visibly wet when you're on like right. I've got a, a fleet and he describes the fleet and she's just up there licking her lips because she's she yeah she all Cersei's flaw she can only see the she she's like a chess player that only plays her side of the board mm-hmm. she can only see the brilliant maneuvers unfolding she doesn't under, she doesn't understand the opponent and that they take extra steps and you have to think about those it's just like oh i've got this ace in the hole yeah what could possibly now i also thought it was interesting there's no mention of dragons when she's talking about her threats um mm. surely she has to know i mean if you haven't heard that the dragons like you know turn the tide of the battle marine um, but I thought it was yeah. interesting that there was like really no mention of that. Who does she have informing her anymore? I guess Kyburn still has That's his true. birds, and he's, right? Yeah, and you know. Plus, uh, this is like this isn't like you know presidential daily briefing shit. This is like front page of Westerosi news. Yeah, dragons would... reborn, torch marine. <laughs> it's pretty important. Slavers Bay no longer Slavers Bay. Um, mm. What do you think is the gift that he will not return to King's Landing without? That was. Half a hundred people I, in my email box wanting to know what yeah. we thought the gift was going to be. People were, t- I, people were talking about a horn. People are talking about uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, crap, I can't remember what the other thing I read was. I mean, it seems like one of the things, because what, what do we know in the show that Cersei's been, you know, it, they've kind of gotten away with this last few seasons, but she was all about, you know, collecting dwarf heads. Oh, right. So, no. like, Tyrion's head would be a suitable gift. How do you get Tyrion? I mean, it seems like you just have to win the war. Right. Right. I I, some people suggested that, that he would bring, um, like, Yara and Theon prisoner, which Again. I would understand why that would be good for him, but why does Cersei care that he settled his... I don't feel like that's yeah. a precious gift to her. Mm-hmm. That's like, you know, he, he went and bought a bowling ball for her because he really is into bowling. What about... Um... It's for you, though, honey. <laughs> right. I didn't spend this money. It's for you. It's, yeah. it's a Homer Simpson I'll gambit. I'll just borrow it on the weekends. Right, right. Yeah, so what about... Uh... Shit, what's her name? Sand. Oh, Laria. Uh, Laria Sand, mm-hmm. yeah. What about her for having killed Marcella? Or, I guess, yeah, like all of the... 
Um, of all the the femme fatales that are arrayed against uh, uh, Cersei, that Olena or Alaria would be something that would make Cersei sit up and take notice. Yeah, I think that's a lot more likely than the great than than the Greyjoy family. Yeah, I'm with you. And now Olena, she Cersei somehow still thinks she might be on their side. I, yeah, that, that was a weird discussion. That was, with that's Jamie. a real weird di- line of dialogue. I thought it was may, maybe like even if you can somehow bring the, but yeah, because I don't, I don't get it. Like, you know, do, do, does she think that maybe she can like promise Tyrell to a, a couple powerful houses? Like, for example, most powerful house in the Reach that's not the Tyrells or the Tarleys. Hmm. Okay. Um, so like, could he, she go to Randall Tarley, who's has recently lost his Valerian steel sword, and be like, hey? Uh, you do what's right by the crown, and we'll make you the new stewards of Highgarden. I mean, if that's what she's thinking, it's so naive. Right. It's, I mean, she just Especially murdered how, her I mean, entire family. And, and that's that's one of the tragedies, I think, of the, the War of the Five Kings, is the fact that this happened right on the cusp of winter when people should have been getting grain in their silos yeah. and being fattened up their livestock and preparing for winter this is all just been like a like a fucking horde of locusts have going over the land and they got they, it's just bare cupboards everywhere so yeah even if they could do that is it is it too late to provide for everybody it might be i mean even the lannister troops uh we we found that a few years back that uh, according to papa lannister according to taiwan they're broke anyway yeah and we start to see evidence of that like these well-equipped well-trained soldiers heading north but they've got a rabbit to share between the Ten of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it doesn't sound like they have enough food either. So that's the, the economics of these wars. I, I like it being brought to the forefront a bit. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, then we see Sam's daily routine. It's humiliating. It's disgusting. Um, and, and the grandiose citadel music <laughs> that introduces the shit montage is is pretty good. Yeah. Oh God, is retching. <laughs> it's retching. The, yeah. The, the firm amongst the soup. Like uh-huh. I'm. Uh, it's disgusting. Uh, we also see him eyeing the books in the restricted area of the library. Sure. And then during a human dissection, which is like they're weighing organs, they're, I guess, doing research here. Yeah. Um, Sam reiterates to one of the maesters his desire to get access to that area so that he can learn how to stop the White Walkers. The maester tells him not to worry about the impending doom because every winter is ended. And Sam steals the keys and then steals a bunch of books from the restricted area. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was interesting the Archmaester's take that like we we are different and we lead these separate lives because we're the world's memory. Without us, men would be n- no more than dogs. They, you know, have no concept of time and they just repeat their own mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought it's an interesting contrast that this is a very uh, secularized view of the world, contrasting to the Three Eyed Raven, which seemed to be the Children of the Forest answer to this memory of the world. Like you have yeah. these these mystic shaman that have this connection to the land and they can go back and peer into history and you don't like 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 you know men men of science build the citadel and they house books and towers and uh, children of faith uh, you know have people plugged into the weirwood network mm-hmm. um, but I I found throughout this episode there's all these different contrasts you know between like Rob and or I keep on saying Rob John and uh, Sansa. Uh, Cersei and Daenerys, uh, the way of the Citadel versus the way of the Children of the Forest. I thought that was uh, pretty cool. Yeah, and it's actually um, what he's saying here is sort of ironic when you look at the Hound and what his arc has been, mm. you know? Like, talking about being no more than dogs and not having a memory and right. thinking only of the last meal and the next. I 
we definitely see not a reckoning, but um, an owning up to the Hound's actions mm-hmm. in this episode. So I don't, I don't know. He seems to be learning from his mistakes. Indeed. But yeah, that, that's an interesting philosophy. They're, the idea that they're sort of like the memory banks of this computer that is the world. Right. Uh, and you just can't function very well without it. Uh, anything else on this? Nah, or, let's move on. Okay, Pod and Brienne are fighting, and Tormund gets jealous. Uh, I actually like this a lot. Pod seems to be fighting a little dirty, uh-huh. like sort of like Bronn taught him. You know, right. he's learning some lessons that he took advantage of the opening. Right. And then then <laughs> Brienne just beat, beats the holy hell out of him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thrown into the mud. And then Littlefinger tries to give Sansa some counsel, but she shuts him down. And Brienne asks why he's still here. Sansa said he saved us, and that's the uncomfortable fact. Well, uh, yeah. The fact that John, you know, for all of his talk about, you know, the fact that by right as king he's making all these decisions, if it weren't for Sansa and especially Littlefinger, uh, the Boltons would still be ruling Winterfell and all the Starks would be dead. Yeah. Um, now they could have maybe had a conversation, like we said last Again, season, about, sure. you know, Littlefinger's right. going to swoop in, save the day, buddy. Don't but worry. now, I mean, I've already seen enough from John that I kind of am a bit more on Sansa's side because, like, what if John's be like, we can't trust Littlefinger, blah, 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 and, you know, does something to – I don't know how he would fuck that up, that last minute of alliance, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know. He's got just enough pig-headed uh, Ned Stark in him to – I think that Sansa's right to be worried. I'm not defending that choice, um, but I guess, I guess I understand it more. Yeah, and I'm also seeing the Ned in Sansa as well. How so? Uh, she seems to be keeping a dangerous and untrustworthy person around simply because of loyalty, of honor. Oh, right. Of, yeah, of a debt the little finger feels. thing to be like, thanks for your armies. Right. Now. We don't need you anymore. Right. Get out of here because you're going to try and influence me. Yeah, we're, I'm going to get a personal oath of loyalty from uh, the, the John, John, John Royce over here, and then you'll be gone. Yeah, but... She's keeping around out of some kind of thanks, I guess. Yeah. Well, I bet that seems dangerous. Is, I because uh, if I if I do my math right, Littlefinger controls the Sweet Robin, mm-hmm. um, who is the 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 rightful although terrible leader of the Vale right now. And Yon mm-hmm. uh, Royce takes his vow seriously enough that I don't think that he would just swear allegiance like like he's allied to John. Um, but he's not going to swear his allegiance. So I guess Littlefinger still has the armies of the Vale, which are at least half of Jon's forces mm-hmm. uh, that he's going to need for the the war north. So I, I don't know. It's the Littlefinger's game here. I feel like this is the most th- he he's climbed his uh, he, he's climbed his uh, r- ring of chaos, his rings of chaos, uh, far enough that now he can't see. I, I don't know that he has the next move. He, I think he might be waiting for something else to happen. I think I know what his next move is going to – well, I don't Go know what King's it's going to be, but I think he's he's at a pivotal point where he has to change his strategy. Mm-hmm. I think he's seen that Sansa is not going to let him in, is not going to take his counsel or marry him or whatever yeah, the fuck he wants. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I think – I think Littlefinger is going to pivot, and I don't know what avenue he's, he's going to go down. He's got his choice of queens he could pivot to. He could go back right. to Cersei, and uh, you know, I don't know how he would – I don't know how he would win her back because he promised her Sansa's head. Mm-hmm. Um, or he's got Daenerys he could make a play with, like, hey, I've got yet another kingdom I could give to you yeah. wholesale, which would be very attractive to a person like Danny, I would think. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Um, so we go over to Arya. She happens upon some singing Lannister troops in the woods who invite her to share their food. She's wary, but eventually warms up to them after they start talking about their mission and their families and 
joking and uh these seem to be the good Lannister troops. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess not all Lannister troops are bad. I, I felt they went a bit overboard. You think so? Like well, they they found the wokest camp of Lannisters yeah. the world's ever seen. Not just like, oh, my mother's trying to me to be kind to strangers and to sh- and we're just here to send the peace for shit that you fucked up, but then like, oh, I want a girl because nothing good comes from guys in this camp. Like, get the come on. <laughs> Come on. I almost felt like they had to go that far because I was very much like Arya at the beginning of this uh-huh. scene. I'm like, I'm very wary, right? I, right? I stumble upon this group of Lannister troops. Right, right, right. Uh, they've, I'm, I'm looking around for the swords. I'm worried about the song they're singing. I'm very skittish. And I feel like if they didn't go quite as far as they did, they might not have sold me on the idea that these are mostly harmless yeah. troops to, to Arya. Uh, I also like her I'm Going to Kill the King, which everybody cracked up at. I think it's the first time we've heard Maisie Williams laugh since she <laughs> lost her shit with the hound at the gate of the Erie. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. Like it, it, The other thing I surprised is how much the internet seemed to collectively dislike Ed Sheeran's guest star. It was fine. As someone who doesn't know who Ed Sheeran is, right. no problem And I think that's the key because, like, say they made Florence Welch of Florence and the Machine a Red Priestess. Right. I would recognize her, but how many people would? And, yeah. you know, like, the, the, I, I think if you do recognize him, they did make him the focal point of so many shots that it would probably was very distracting because mm-hmm. one of the charms of Game of Thrones has been, other than, like, you know, Sh- Sean Bean and... Um, I, I, I'm trying to think of maybe a, cu- a couple others, um, really, really relatively famous people. Uh, Peter these, Dinklage. <laughs> Peter Dinklage, yeah. yeah. But was he that famous? Like, if you, uh, you that's know, a you, good question. You, you yeah, probably knew him fair. as the guy from Elf, and but but like, right. it's not like he was, um, you know, uh, uh, burn, burning up. What was that one he was in the train station movie? Yeah, uh, train spotting. No, I, can't. <laughs> I I don't remember the name of it. Yeah, uh, but I mean, like, I'm not saying he wasn't doing excellent work. I'm just saying that I don't think he was a household name. And you could almost say the same thing about like Aiden Gillian, uh, Littlefinger, the station agent, station that... agent. That's what it was. Okay. Um, for the most part, these people were relatively unknown. So like, you could just like, oh yep, that's John Stark or that's Sansa or whatever. Um, you know, you can't do that yeah. if you know who Ed Sheeran is. So, so let me ask you this. It, Ed Sheeran is like the scruffy-headed blonde boy, yes, right? Yes, he is. That doesn't have many lines. Right. So I, I like that they didn't make him the focus of the scene. Because right. clearly the the taller, like, uh, hair-pulled-back, dark-haired guy mm-hmm. is, like, the focus of the scene. He has yeah. the most dialogue and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he was just a minor bit in a show that had 73 hours long. Are you yeah. really that worried about it? <laughs> hey, man, people people uh, get their suspension of disbelief all fucked up over Yeah, weird, that's true. Weird stuff. And, like, I, I'm not going to criticize because it happens to me, too. Yeah. Um, and, again, like, someone in the feedback was making a comment. like, what would you think if, like, uh, um, uh, Taylor Swift had been in that role? Like, where she's like, oh, it's a new song. Do you like it? Wink. I mean, like, uh, I guess a sufficiently big pop star would... And and I guess that's the argument, right? To the people who know who Ed and he's not sure. an unknown. Like maybe the safer thing would just be not to do that. Yeah, but they've already done that, right? Like, I don't Braun. Need, I don't need Braun Danny. is a pop star in the UK, like or is was he? a pop star. Yeah, kind yeah. Of I mean, he up, had like, a big hit. A, yeah, sure, but that's like I'm trying to think. Of he's Washington the pop star been. from Love Actually. Like I don't know the right. kids. The kids know who he is. Sure. 
Anyway, plus we're probably pissing off all the English people because they're like, oh, he's a fucking national treasure. He's a fucking treasure. He should be. Yeah. He's awesome. (laughs) Uh, All right. The Hound, Varric, and Thoros ride up on the house where the Hound killed a man, stole his silver, and left his daughter to die. Um, He didn't kill the man. A couple of seasons ago. He mugged her. I think you misinterpreted it previously on. He wounded him and um, essentially killed him. The the Hound was under no illusions about this, this family's fate. Yeah. So... Um, he he sees their bodies there in the house. Um, the hound begins to shit on Beric's religion and his mission until Thoros calls him over to the fire and he sees a vision of his own of the wall being overtaken by White Walkers. That's not all. You know what else he saw in that fire? What? A mountain. Yeah, yeah. So this is interesting. Uh, I do want to talk about the language here. A mountain, something that looks like an arrowhead. It's the mountain's uh, penis. <laughs> right? It's as pointy as can be. Uh, yeah, and Kyber the dead just, Kyber just used the broken shaft of uh, Oberyn's spear to piece it back together. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I mean, I, is this not the the Clegane Bowl that we the, the hype I, of old? It certainly could we thought be. we thought it was slain, but it's it's back. It's back. It certainly could be. Yeah. Um, I I want to throw out another proposal. Maybe the Arrowhead is a joke about the Hound's new helmet. Because like I the, said, the, the mountain's new helmet. Yeah, yeah. I, he's he's very circumcised, penis looking. Very much. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know why. I, like, I there's another one right. I don't know how that got passed. Like you know, like you parade the different types, and it's like, well, th- obviously this one looks like a circumcised, uh, uncircumcised, or circumcised penis. Mm-hmm. Get it out of here. Yep. Uh, I get it that the, the Cersei's going to go towards Darth Vader fashion, but come on. And it, it, it slipped through the cracks. Everybody's going toward Darth Vader fashion. Mm-hmm. Cersei, Danny. Yeah. Everybody's in dark drab apparel. Yeah, a lot of people have, were were not liking Euron's uh, the crow outfit oh, either. Jesus, it is yeah. a, it is a an unfortunately dark palette, and I wonder. Yeah. Um, I mean, I saw that happen with the the Harry Potter films as they got more adult. Like, just they just got more and more desaturated in the color, and I don't know if that's always a wise choice because mm-hmm. you know one of the nice things about the show is it always did have. Uh, a, a very pleasing palette, and and it was nice to look at. And if they have yeah. to drain all the color out of the world to sell me that this is adult and dark story now, eh. yeah. I mean, they're doing it from both sides, right? They're yeah. All the darks are getting darker. The whites are getting whiter. It's going to be very contrasty. <laughs> yep. Uh, but let's talk about the mountain. Let me throw out another proposal. Uh, later in the episode, Sam mentions Sam talks about a mountain of dragon glass. Sure. Uh, outside of Dragonstone. Um, and he, you know, we we see people using uh, dragon glass for arrowheads. Um, it could definitely be that he's talking about the dragon glass here. Yeah, I think that's that. probably. Uh, I think that's probably the the what what's more likely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, did you thought it was? Uh, I also thought it was interesting the fact that the hound is able to interpret fires. Yeah, that's um, not something everyone can do. Or maybe they can. Maybe just bother to look. Cause, and, I would and, think a lot more people would be having a lot more visions then. So what's special about him? And I thought it's interesting that they they, yeah. they brought out the, the irony of him banding with a bunch of fire worshippers since he's deathly afraid of fire mm-hmm. uh, due to his, his uh, older brother Mountain burning his face off when he was a kid. Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought it was all good, but I, it was a little, I guess, jarring to see him you know, conversing with the Lord of the Light, I guess. Yeah, I, it's another one of those things where it's not well-defined, and mm-hmm. I'm not certain who can do it, um, why it happens, anything like that. It's just apparent that it did happen to him. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think he's a great traveling companion. We saw him with Arya. Uh, 
you know, he was not nice to her. No. We've now seen him with Beric and Thoros. He's even worse to them. Right. Like, he is just a grumpy Gus, not having any of it. He is, yeah. I mean, maybe that's, like, the fact that you look like your face is half hamburger, maybe you get that as an early. You just go hard on people's yeah. top knots. It's a defense mechanism. And they're missing eyes, and they're what, but whatever you can go after him because you just you, you want to launch an offensive so they know that, like, well, if I talk shit back, he's going to he's going to eat my chicken. Yeah. And that'll be that. Indeed. Uh, so then he digs a grave to put the farmer and his daughter in. Uh, the hound tries to pray over him, but he doesn't remember the words. So he settles for, you deserve better. I like this as a good as, a, as, as both a character moment and also some raw meat to the book readers because we pinned our hopes on Sandor not being dead uh, because of this elaborate grave digger theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we see the hound actually digging graves. Yeah. So well played, Double Ds, well played. Nice nod to it. I also like, you know, how well this scene serves to remind us how far the Hound has come. Yes. To show the, the change in his character. It's the, He's still an asshole, but he's, right. he's, troubled by, he's troubled by it now. He is, yeah. And, and um, also, he can't ask uncomfortable questions about how the Lord of Light is using Beric Dondarrion without thinking about how it applies to him as well. Right. Like, why are you still alive? Mm-hmm. Why... You know, why, why, or rather, why am I still alive? Why am I being chosen? Like, I'm, you know, if, if I'm more exceptional than Beric, it's, it's because of the, sh- the bad things I've done, not the good things I've done in life. Yeah. So, again, a nice, a nice little symmetry that they've set up between the two. How many scoops did you think it took for the hound to dig that grave? At Three? least, at least two. And also, least, man, the mountain could have done it in one. I, I, I think. don't want, I, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's the grave backhoe. <laughs> um, I, I don't. I don't know. Uh, and and like digging through frozen mud can't be fun. No, cannot be fun. All right, let's go back over to Sam. He's reading the books he stole, and he comes across a map of Dragonstone that shows the location of a dragon glass mine or a mountain, as he mm-hmm. describes it. Mm-hmm. And he sends a raven off to John. Later, he's cleaning up the dungeons, and Jorah shoves uh, someone. I assume is Jorah. We never see his face, but. We hear his voice. He shoves his scaly arm out a door. Not practicing asks, safe hand grabbing. Not at all. At all. No. Yeah, put a put a put a put a glove on that thing. Glove uh, up, man. But he asks if Sam uh, Sam if Danny has made it to Westeros yet. Yeah. No news. Um, so uh, did you see all of the screen captures of these these pages? Sure. Um, there's a lot of interesting things you can mind here. Number one, in the 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 pages he's flipping through is a very detailed picture of the dragon that the cat's paw used the hire to kill brand back in season one used, which was a big CSI Winterfell kind of thing. Um, That's the, the blade. Yeah. The little, the Valerian that, that cut cat's hands and they, and and it turns out it was belonged to maybe Tyrion, then Littlefinger. And it um, what do you make of the fact that that picture was prominently displayed on the page? Um, I don't know. Like, I, I really have no idea how this blade is going to factor in. Because, because, because the thing is, is mo- the consensus amongst people who have thought about the matter is that um, it was Joffrey that hired the person that killed Bran to try to impress his dad. Uh, that's the conclusion Tyrion came to. It's the conclusion Jamie comes to. The people in the in-universe that we respect as smart, perceptive people have looked at all the information uh, now that means that Littlefinger was not behind it, but he did stick his nose in there as his climbing the rungs of chaos thing. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, if 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 Sansa can use this to to hang him by his own petard, so to speak, because maybe and it would be ironic yeah. that he actually goes down for something he did not in fact do. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I like 
I like how poetic ju- justicey that is. Like chaos catches up with him. Yeah, yeah. like oh, you 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 stuck your nose in this and you fomented chaos and you ended up you know having almost all my family murdered. Well, mm-hmm. you know, here's this chaos coming back to take advantage of you. If he's killed by Ian Malcolm, that's even more justice. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I I don't know like how this information didn't seem to be important to Sam at all. Um, and he's no. the only one who I guess would have that information in the moment. Right. How, I, I guess, do you see any way for it to get back to Sansa or John or Littlefinger even? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Maybe if like, um, cause there was such close proximity to like the maps and stuff. Like maybe right. if like Sam is so, uh, brash as to rip pages out of the forbidden section of the li- library. <laughs> Tie, to... Ties the books to a raven's foot. <laughs> At least Off a couple pages. Like I, that's a that's yeah, a great yeah. question of like where it can all get connected. But you know we've got uh, we got a lot of characters moving around. We got a lot of jetpacks on the field. Yeah, um, I'm just saying it's significant that that information showed up in such close proximity. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing that this was like on a half page that was obscured by the edge of the screen. Um, but before uh, Sam turned the page to the the mountain of uh, Dragonglass, there was a treatise where one of the maesters were talking about the alleged healing properties of Dragonglass, and that the Targaryens used to. So, the, the, so there's one thing that, that that said that the that you could inject. And again, you only got every other word, but like apparently you can ingest Dragonglass, and it's like a cure all. <laughs> Okay. And it's interesting because uh, we know what we know about Dragonstone is that uh, that's where Stannis set up camp. We also know that his daughter had an intractable case of of of, of uh, uh, what do they call that? Stone skin? Grayscale? Huh? Yeah, grayscale. Thank yeah. you, Jesus. I'm the booker here. <laughs> um, saved by the show watcher, and that maybe there's this theory that Shireen, because she was dwelling on this island, it's chock full of dragon glass, that she got like some kind of proximity cure. Huh. And at that now okay. I don't to know, I don't know to what end like or maybe a maester like, knew this like right and it's been forgotten or you know yeah, people yeah. just didn't take it serious because Stannis went to the maesters right it, it kind of yeah yeah he went to all the, one yeah 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 um, I just wonder if there's something to that and I, it seems like pretty small potato stakes to heal Jorah and to what end uh-huh. but I thought that was interesting and then finally uh, a lot of the the commentary on those pages were about the fact that um, a Valerian steel seems to be connected to obsidian their dragon glass because it said that the valerians used to adorn their like sword hilts and handles with it yeah uh and people are thinking and there's also the descriptions of how they use dragons to melt this glass together to form like their castles on old valeria didn't have seams like they were just like perfect smooth surfaces made it together because they'd have the dragons kind of weld it together huh. and they're cool. like, so that this goes more into our speculation preseason that sam is going to discover something important about um, Valerian Steel, and that this might be this just a first step of that. Because I think we agreed that it's underwhelming if he goes to the Citadel and all he finds out is something that Stan has told him as an aside three seasons ago. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I hope it's more than that. We'll see. Right. Uh, Jorah looks pretty bad. So, I don't... I mean, if they're going to do a yeah, cure... that hand's pretty bad. Yeah, they need to do a quick... Uh, I... I so what? What is he? Uh, so I get that he comes here looking for a cure. Right, that makes a lot of sense. That's to what me. Danny Danny gave him to do. But why? I guess are the Maesters keeping him in this cell 
just kind of keeping him around? Are they working on him? I you bet. think they're trying to sure. fix him? Right, but it feels like that this is like their quarantine area. Okay. And you know, grayscale is uh, it's it's kind of like the the old school leprosy. Yeah. So they probably just want to study him. Honestly, right. like yeah. he's going to get dissected the moment. It doesn't he seem like it's a very hygienic. No. Yeah, like this is just a dank, airless cell that uh, they're waiting for you to die so they can dissect you. I guess. I guess so. So, but now that Sam's made this connection, I I feel yeah. like that that's that that's. I don't know the what in because Jorah restored is kind of who cares at this point. Yep, uh, he was never the best fighter. I mean, he's he's most notable for his his attraction to Danny. I don't think that I think that's a one sided attraction. I don't think that goes anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I could don't know. he could he maybe be like healed by a dragon glass and then go to Danny and say, "Hey, Danny, there's a whole bunch of dragon glass here. Look at the magical property." Sure, like uh, look, it cured me. My hand, right? It's it's. They chopped it off, and they're studying it back at the Citadel, <laughs> but uh, it, it was cured before that. <laughs> right, right. Um, I don't I don't know. I'll have more to say in the Spoiler Podcast okay. Friday. Cool. Um, we go, speaking of Danny, to Danny's fleet arriving at Dragonstone. She's finally returning home. Mm-hmm. Uh, she takes her time, her sweet, sweet time, savoring her homecoming. And then instead of taking the throne, she immediately begins planning her conquest of Westeros. Mm-hmm. If I'm if I'm Tyrion, if I'm Grey Worm, if I'm Miss Sandy, I'm thinking, okay, like we know this this is your homecoming. This is the thing you've been waiting for. But can right. we get on with it, please? Yeah. <laughs> Enough with the marveling already. Uh huh. I mean, I, I thought this worked reasonably well the first time. The uh-huh. second and third time I watched it, I'm like, wow. You mute this and take the music that's doing so much heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, and I, I still think Amelia Clark's not great. She's good. I, She's good at being mm-hmm. amused, at being um, kind of bummed out. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say even sad, but like if she sees a dead child, she she she, she expresses mild discontent at it. Uh-huh. Uh, she's good at being powerful, and she's good at being yeah. sexy. She's really good at being sexy and powerful. Okay. Like you want a woman to strut out of fire and for a horde of <laughs> Dothraki to throw themselves at her feet, Amelia Clark's your woman. Are you saying nuance is not her? Uh, yeah. The subtlety is not no. what she's going for. It really like mm. when I think when the director says like you know gives her all this like this is you know you this is this is your dream, Daenerys. This is your dream, Amelia. This is this is your setting your setting your setting foot first foot on the place you were born. Mm-hmm. This is the thing your brother promised you, and now you've got it by your own right. And she just takes it and it's a blank stare. Yeah, I feel you on that. It's it's tough. I'm trying to get into the character's head and say, okay, what what would cause a character to have this sort of blank slate look she's trying to be and I, I get it like you could say well she's trying to be queenly right she's you know? she's almost not allowing herself to feel this as much like as queen she elizabeth landing on dragonstone she would just take her corgis go sit on the throne everything would be like she wouldn't be like oh dragonstone <laughs> and weep and <laughs> right. got her and you know rip her dress and ah, and rub she, sand all over she might touch the sand maybe. she might yeah, yeah that's that's dignified uh-huh. but yeah i mean maybe that is like she's she's trying to keep the majesty and you know like like that's something Tyrion's been telling her like you you have to have almost this inhuman detachment and maybe maybe amelia clark's blank look is a little you know natalie porton episode one star wars thing where <laughs> yeah. it's like the director doesn't really know what he wants out of her and that's what she's he's getting but i don't know uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I'm, hmm. I think season one season two uh-huh. daenerys actually would 
do all the things you said. Like she she would be I loving think, this. I think season one is the the Nadir. Like I, I, think I so. really, it's all downhill from there. Yeah, her for like especially when she was in you know full chattel mode. And I mean there again, that could be a perfectly valid way to 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 do a woman that has no agency. But then it's the exact same kind of like doe, you know, deer in the headlights look that we're getting when she is this powerful conqueror coming over to. I mean, to let us begin again, like when she switched into power mode, everything was clicked back into place. But boy, those five minutes yeah. where she's just walking around with the music swelling and she's tearing down banners and just gawking at things, not not my favorite, Daenerys. Yeah, slightly above where are my dragons, that. Daenerys, but you know, <laughs> right. it's nowhere near. Uh, the unburnt version. I think her mission has changed. You know, at first it was like, I want to return home. Um, her mission is definitely Westeros now. She wants to have Westeros. Yeah. Um, break the wheel, like she says. And, so, and, and many, many people said that there is some obvious um, character development where she just bypasses the throne of dragons. Yeah. Like, I'm not even going to. Absolutely. I, I got my eyes on the prize. And that's why I think this, that maybe she plays this a little bit cooler, is because she's recognizing this is a thing I once wanted. Yeah. How foolish of me. Like, right. that was su- such a small potatoes thing. Mm-hmm. I've got a bigger mission now. Let's continue with that. And so she doesn't quite allow herself to feel the the things that she might have felt yeah. in season one. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. It's It was, I think, supposed to be a bigger moment, and the music was telling me it was bigger. I do like the choice not to put any dialogue in here. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it needed it. Um, I think it might have just needed a little bit more expressive acting. I thought there was also some nice character moments where, uh, like, on the boat ride over, like, Missandei and Tyrion, they're all just firmly fixed on Dragonstone, but, like, um, uh, Varys... Like kept stealing glances at the queen. Like he he's still doing some mental arithmetic and hmm. and kind of sizing her up. And yeah, uh, I thought that that was a, a subtle little character moment. Um, and again, on on first play, I thought I thought it worked well enough. Uh, let me ask you this: I can't remember if I saw this in feedback, which in case we'll I'll eventually get to credit, or if this is something on Reddit someone was pondering. But hmm. what if they put this scene up front? And then we got the Arya scene, like, you know, like towards the maybe the, the Arya scene where she closes out the phrase at the end of the episode. Because if this is the cold open and you get the shall we begin and then smash cut the Game of Thrones theme, like that would be kind of badass, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I can't deny that. Because <laughs> um, it's like almost like she's formally, she's she's presiding over the Game of Thrones Olympics and this is the opening ceremony. Right. Having it the end where it's the shall we begin, smash the black. At, at such a great moment, and it just like because I I was completely unprepared for it because I I thought we were like thirty minutes into the episode. I'm like, what the hell was this like a forty three? No, it's a full hour. Wow. Yeah. Um, so like, that's the other thing is like people that say this is a plotting episode, I cannot agree with because I was shocked when it came to the end. I thought it was much shorter than it was. Yeah, me too. Um, so I don't know. I think it's kind of fun to kind of backseat show run, especially since in the uh, in the uh, behind the scenes they mentioned that. Uh, the Arya scene was not going to be the season opener, but they the, the David's performance of um, of Walder Frey was so good that they wanted to to showcase it. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's always fun to think of like what if. Yeah. Uh, well, I got a question for you. Yes. 
Which throne do you like more, the Iron Throne or the throne here at Dragonstone? The Dragonstone throne is pretty aesthetically <laughs> pleasing. Really cool. The other thing yeah. is, um, I remember thinking the Iron Throne is really badass, and the concept that this Aegon the Conqueror took all the swords from the former uh, lords and ladies and kings of the Seven Kingdom and welded them into his own fucking throne. Uh-huh. Um, but I've seen since, like, I think it's the World of Ice and Fire has a depiction of how George sees the Iron, and it's just so much cooler and more gothic and badass huh. uh, that now every time I see and I've sat on a replica a resin replica of the the and it's it's kind of underwhelming like this dragonstone affair is is really cool looking and yeah I think the dragonstone one conveys more power to me yeah that's what um, I'm saying like you can see Aegon the Conqueror sitting on that and brooding yeah like Conan at the end of the first movie the mm-hmm. Iron Throne like I don't may, and maybe it's also that I've seen fucking Joffrey sit on that thing I've seen <laughs> okay. Tommen, Tommen yeah. and it's almost like how cool <laughs> is it right it's like if I was in you know I was, I was waiting for my picture with the Iron Throne and like a three year old girl was sitting on top of it and then I'm like okay how cool is this how cool is this picture really going to be <laughs> right beside on Facebook beside mine there's going to be a three year old <laughs> <laughs> in a in a Pokemon dress in it, like yep. ah, I'm fooling myself. Okay, uh, yeah, I, th- I think the Dragonstone Throne actually looks a little bit cooler. I'm Can we just it. call it Dragon Throne? Dragon Throne, yeah. All right, and that's it. That's the end of the episode. We got a couple sponsors this week. First up is Bald Move itself, a club.baldmove.com. You can join up uh, right now. Game of Thrones fans can get. Uh, a, a discount, 25% off their yearly subscription rate if they go to club.baldmove.com and use the promo code GOT2017, GOT2017, during checkout. You'll get 25% off. It's our, our little special to you, and that, that sale goes from now until July 31st. So you still got a little bit of time to take advantage of it. If you go to the club page, uh, there is uh, like a breakdown of all the benefits you get, like ad-free feeds, VIP forum a- access, all the different bonus audio content and visual content you get. Um, but it does support Bald Move. Um, and you can also, uh, just to further entice you, because that's where we're all about seduction here at Bald Move, <laughs> uh, we are embedding a little clip from our Lunch with Jim and Aaron, which is our weekly general interest podcast, where we were, did a little bit of talking about my experience watching season two of Twin Peaks and being intrigued by a cross-dressing David Duchovny. Uh, that is at the end of the podcast for people to want to stay past the feedback and, and, and get a free preview of that. Uh, this podcast is also sponsored by Casper Mattresses at Casper.com. Uh, Casper Mattresses are obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price. It combines supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. With over 20,000 reviews and an average 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. And here's the only review you need. Aaron mm-hmm. Hubbard has slept on this mattress for the last three years now? Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, we were one of the early, early adopters of Casper. Casper's uh, been sponsored with us a long time, and I was immediately impressed. And I, I had a perfectly comfortable, it was like a three-year-old at the prime of its life, a conventional mattress that I bought from a reputable brick-and-mortar store. Um, and it was a great experience. I love it. Um, I can vouch for all these things they said. Um, the fact that, um, the one nice thing is they ship it to your house. And do you remember when uh, Varys brought that warlock over and he was in a little wooden <laughs> uh-huh. crate? Imagine like instead of a full size human, he just like stuffed Varys in there and he had a proportionately sized crate, uh-huh. like maybe three foot tall by two by two. That's what a king size mattress comes in. 
and you just kind of like you know open this packaging and it just explodes into a full size king size mattress. It's so much easier if you're in an apartment. Yeah, I've seen the box and I thought I probably couldn't fit in that box. And no, yet the mattress explodes out and That's the magic of foam turns into something I can sleep on comfortably. It it, it does, and and it, it it is it is is awesome. You know, I was actually really shocked by the price. I was laying in bed. Uh, on my non-Casper mattress, because I, I haven't had the opportunity to get one yet. Uh, or the need, really. I bought a pretty new mattress just before they started advertising with us. So did me. I see. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the trap they got you in. But, but the here's the thing. Trap. But, the, but then they got me back, because I was I was laying in bed. I was browsing. I went to their website. I looked at their shocking price, and I shit my mattress. I shit the bed. <laughs> now and now I need one. a new mattress. So. You know how shocked you were when Ned got beheaded? You know how shocked right. you were when you first saw a red what that That's nothing compared to how shocked you will be when you go to Casper.com and see their shocking. mattress prices. Uh, they offer free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. Uh, try to go into your favorite brick-and-mortar mattress store. Say, hey, I want to take this home for 100 nights. Right. Sleep on it. Sweat on it. Go to the website and shit all over it again because you're shocked by the prices all over again. They'll say they'll laugh in your face. They'll be like, "You, you, you take it, it's yours." Casper yeah. will come and pick up the mattress for you, give you all your money back, up to a hundred days. If you can't decide if a mattress is comfortable after a hundred days, then what, what's going on? Yeah, uh, it's also designed, developed, and assembled in the United States of America, which is pretty awesome. Uh, you can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash GOT and using GOT uh, at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Smash cut the feedback. Okay. we have a bunch of it. Um, of course, you can send this to Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com. Um, I want to open up with something. Um, I think that I'm going to roll with a kind of no predictions rule. And I say that because since early this year, there has been a leak of essentially every major plot point of this season. Yeah. And I have main, I have, I'm only about 10% spoiled on that stuff. Um, like, uh, like most of the watchers in the wall people that we were talking to at the, at the con of Thrones, they were all hep to this, but I'm seeing some people, and this happens every fucking time you get, you get leak spoilers. Um, I've seen some people package up some of that knowledge as shots in the dark. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is since I'm not spoiled, I cannot separate that from people that actually have unusually. And I'm just like, I, I I don't really like predictions that much because first of all, I get like a thousand different variations a week. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like, I don't like him. So I'm just like, okay, well, I guess this is interesting. It's, it's, now that I got an excuse that the this stuff is all spoiled and people can just look it up and regurgitate that stuff and and get all the internet points, I, I'm just not I'm, I'm not I'm not considering predictions. And like, from the other side of it, like if you did go and you read all the spoilers and yeah. you knew what was spoilers and you chose not to read those, now we're only reading wrong predictions, right? And speculating on things we know aren't going to happen. Yeah, what the hell? It's, it's 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 dumb. And yeah. I, I and I, I know that a lot of people do like predictions, and there's a fine line between like theory crafting, yeah, yeah, which I think is is a, a subtle distinction between predictions and like I have a theory that this points to this, um, and you know I'm the ultimate arbiter of what that is and isn't, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just going to shut. I'm, I'm not going to consider predictions on air because it is all you got to do is search for season seven Game of Thrones leak, and right. you can make 100 percent successful predictions. So to be clear, other than our own predictions, because yeah, because we can. I can guarantee. I can guarantee. Now I will not read any gems because he. I cannot guarantee his purity, <laughs> and he's right. the kind of guy that would do something like that. I'm 100 percent unsullied on, yeah. on the new season. Yeah. 
But uh, other than trailers, I just want I just because I, I got like I got like three quarters through my no- and I just start and I, I wait wait a second that sounds familiar and I looked it up and it's like someone had just a, just bald face passed off a spoiler as a prediction I'm like God damn Bullshit. it yeah so there you go um, Caitlin T starting us off the show has a consistent pattern of kings dying each season season one Robert two Rinley three Rob four Joffrey five Stannis six Tommen. Did you realize that? I didn't. But I had neither. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you could like on when you get the Blu-ray supercut, you could just have the the kings on the spine. Following this pattern, there was a king's death in season seven. I think that means we're left with a Cersei, which I think is doubtful this season. B Danny, also doubtful this season. C uh, John. It says Job, but it's actually <laughs> Job. <I> think, <laughs> uh, yeah, character from the books. Yes. For all you show watchers only. Yeah, the Bible. Yeah. Um, Job. <laughs> that book. John, right. who has really thick plot armor right now, or D. Euron, but there hasn't been enough character development on Euron to make his death as meaningful as the others. Sure. Do you think with the pace of this season they can make us really care if Euron dies, or is there another king that you think is more likely? Man, they're never going to make me care about Euron. Eur- yeah. Euron is there He's... as an opportunity for Cersei to service other characters. Greyjoy come lately. Yeah. I never liked the Greyjoys. I was surprised yeah. when they got resurrected as a plot, which means, to my chagrin, they're important yep. to the end game. Um, I boy, they, and here's the other thing: Do the double D's consider is this a true season seven, season eight situation, or do they see this as season seven A, season seven B, much right. like the end of like game or um, Breaking Bad was? Yeah, because um, I don't know. I guess I don't know. I, I think I think Cersei's likely to die this season. To be honest, I do too. Yeah. Um. And also you got the situation where some of these people could die and then be reborn, mm-hmm. either as a white or as a – and then, like, you could have your cake and eat it too. So I, I don't know. Like, I guess I would go with Cersei or Danny if I was set, set, had to make a prediction. Like, Danny – imagine Danny dying this season. He's such a shocker. Or John for <laughs> that would. matter. Yeah, either of them, honestly. Um, what about Alaria? Uh, uh, She's not a queen. She not or a queen? Kid. No. She's just a bastard. What, what is the leader of Dorne the called? Princess, I suppose, but she's princess, not of House okay. Martell. She was never married right. to Right. But well, somebody's got to take over. There's a power vacuum. I don't know who did it. Yeah. But probably Ilaria, if I had to guess. Yeah, no, I think yeah. that's like they but she, yeah, she'd they, be a they took princess, over by I guess. Yeah, would she style herself as a princess since she I don't know. Um I don't know. I don't know what they call that too, but e- either way they're not they're not a king. Like even even yeah. even back in the days where they were they had the princedom or the principality, they they weren't right. kings. So uh Kathleen M, I'm still listening to the final podcast before the season. You just went over the reasons why it might be important that John is a Targaryen. Uh, and I have another one is that almost all dragon riders have had to have dragon blood to ride a dragon. Don't you think John mm-hmm. will be a third head of the dragon along with Tyrion and Danny? Um, I well, you I got mean, the problem with Tyrion isn't isn't a a Targaryen either. Yeah, um, you also have mm-hmm. like, and the other thing is, um, I I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any show evidence that that they have conclusively said you have to be a Targaryen to ride a dragon. And there's That's there's true. some yeah. questionable and contradictory information in the apocrypha of the books. Like if you go back, there was uh, uh, the Princess and the Queen from the Dangerous Women anthology. It's one of the dunk kind of the Dunkin' Eggs series where 
Um, there was this like open call to these dragon seeds to try because they were they were short on dragon riders. It's like come one, come all, try to ride a dragon, and they were looking for like Targaryen bastards or like third mm-hmm. and fourth sons. But I I believe a few non Targaryen civilians showed up and tried their hand, and at least two were successful. So well, let me ask you this: What happens when you're not successful at riding a dragon? You get, you get burnt and eaten. Do you? Yeah. So it's it's a thing where like Ask you Quentin can't Martell. even get on and try it. Oh. It's just like you get close and you're Yeah. But what, what if what if like forty non dragon riders rush a dragon? Brumarsh a dragon? Yeah, like he can only eat so many, right? Then he gets full. Yeah. I imagine one could get on its back, then Yeah, there's another story. Do so they just slide right there, off? There, there's yet another story where about a hundred commoners took on a dragon in the dragon dome. <laughs> the dragon dome. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, yeah. wait, Tina wait, Turner wait. was there. Yeah, stop right there. Mel what is Gibson the dragon there. dome? That's where, that's the, they actually refer to it in this episode where the Lannister kids are like, yeah, I wanted to see King's Landing. Go see the Sept of Baylor and the dragon dome. That's where the Targaryens, they had this giant domed enclosure to house their dragons. Like the Colosseum except yeah. with the roof? Yeah, and some people say that that was the doom <laughs> of the dragons shit. because they became stunted and they couldn't free range and they got shitty and all that, but huh. uh, the, like a hundred commoners armed with like pitchforks and torches were able to kill a dragon that was confined. Um, so, you know, right. hmm. they're not they're not unkillable. Yeah, for sure. Um you know, it's their their, their ability is they're very tough. They can breathe fire and they fly. And mm-hmm. there's not the you know that that's a pretty good advantage to have in in a pre pre aircraft era. Yeah, I'd say. Uh, all right, uh, back. So like I said, it's it's inconclusive. We'll, we'll have to see. Uh, back in five, by my count, is mentioned three times that the wall stood between Westeros and the White Walkers. Isn't that a clear sign that it's coming down? <laughs> if not, I don't know what is. He's got a point. There was yeah. three different instances where people asserted that the wall is there, so who, you know, like, we don't have to worry about the, the White Walkers. If John Mellencamp shows up next episode, it's over. <laughs> he, he sings that song, right? The wall come tumbling down. Yeah. I, did he? I'm, not, I'm very I think weak it's John Mellencamp. Classic rock. Yeah. Johnny Cougar. Well, he doesn't go by that anymore. I know. <laughs> um, so He'd be offended if he heard that. He, he would. Um, did, did you know that uh, me and John Mellencamp are, are blood? I actually did. Yeah, They're second cousins. Yeah, a lot of a lot of weird stuff happened in Morseville. They did. He did. I saw him at a family reunion once. <laughs> um, so I can call him Johnny Cougar. He said it was yeah. okay when I was seven. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I mean, I really cooled down on the whole idea of Brand taking down the wall sometime between this season and last. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still kind of off that bandwagon. Just so, because I, I they're mean, not it, treating they're not treating his crossing as like he he went into not. the wall yeah. like in, in in any circumstance can you imagine they cut the next and it's just like it's crumbled Ed, <laughs> Dolores Ed standing in the rubble like well <laughs> right. this figures uh huh you know I trust the damn kid now the walls like I just I just don't see it but I also see what back in five is saying there's a lot of foreshadowing with people being very overconfident I I mean I think to me it's it's all about. You know, the potential magic barrier of the wall. Bran going through it, this mark destroying the magic barrier, and these giants taking down the wall, like, literally beating their way through the wall. Right. I think they could do it. Oh, um, yeah, that's so the thing. A like, section no might come down. My mind. No yeah. question in my mind they can't beat a hole through that gate. Right. Also, I, I also think that everyone has this idea that it was the mark that destroyed the protection in the tree, but what really happened was that was the locator, so they found the tree, and then the Night King with his sheer power... 
Really? Yeah, wasn't that it? Like he, I don't know. But. Uh, yeah, I, I I thought that that allowed them to locate it, and then the you know the the Knights King flanked by his flunkies came up there and did something magical to like blow a hole through hmm. the barrier. Yeah, I mean it's clearly a tracking device. We've seen right. that. So I don't I don't know. Like I said, I I, I don't think f- I'm positive that the wall falling is not going to be coupled to Bran because that's just shitty storytelling. <laughs> Um, but if it falls, I don't know. Like I said, that you, you got a you got a solid point there, backing. Mm-hmm. Travis M from West Virginia. The Archmaester tells Samuel Tarly that the Citadel and its Maesters are the world's memory. Do we think that Sam, in some way, writes the story that we know as a song of ice and fire? We know that the Lord of the Rings is a big influence on George, and he wants a bittersweet ending to the story. That book ends with a return to home, but pains of war lingering as Samwise Gamgee writes in the Red Book which becomes the Lord of the Rings. I know it won't literally be the same, but it's definitely an interesting possibility. Yeah, we've Jim, discussed this before. What do you think of an aged Sam closing out the series as he writes The Song of Ice and Fire? And he... I suppose. I, I just I feel like that's a bit of a cliche. Um, it's a cliche with one example, though. Like, can you have a trope yeah, that I, has... But I, I always feel like, you know, okay, literally writing you know, a history of the story, but there right. have been all kinds of things that have been like, Oh, and this is me telling you the story of sure. that thing, sitting yeah. down with little Timmy by the fire and yeah. telling you the story yeah. or the princess bride, the like me it. reading yeah, you the yeah, book. Yeah. Like it's been done to death. And I don't know that Martin or the double D's want to go there. Plus some, some of these things are so distinctive that they're a trope. Like, like you can't have John getting bit by a spider and start climbing the walls. <laughs> uh-huh. Like it's not fair to say that's a trope, but it's such a distinctive thing that people yeah. will cry foul. It's a great, it's an interesting idea, especially since you, you know, it's Sam. They're they're both Sams, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think we've made a good, compelling case about why he might not exactly follow down the path of, uh, uh, you know, J.R.R. But, but you're not wrong that you know, Martin is partially inspired by Tolkien. So sure. I mean, everyone that's picked up a pen and written fantasy has been inspired by Tolkien. But he's like specifically talked about how yes, he was yes. inspired and what he wanted to do the differently. That he and, wanted, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, right. So, uh, Kristen P. I've been shipping this theory for a while now, and everyone seems to brush it off. But I want to see what you thought of it. Sansa had such a brush of bad luck when it comes to relationships. It seems that she could use some real loving in her life. <laughs> oh boy! Who do we know that can give her that? Oh yeah, our favorite, talented in all the right ways, Squire Sir Podrick. Oh, whenever man. I bring it up, people say no, he's not high born enough, born for her. But don't we think that she might be past that now? After being engaged to Prince Joffrey, married to Lord Ramsay, and don't forget Tyrion. Neither of which brought her sunshine and rainbows. Might she realize that there could be more to a relationship than someone's title and position? I like it. I can see them together. Do you? Because the thing is, like, other than Pod the Rod, like, Pod is just very dull. Now, uh, less so as of late. Him being tootled under Brienne is interesting because Brienne's the closest thing we got to a true knight of Westeros. That's mm-hmm. always been Sansa's love affair. She always wanted to find the Dorian to her jonquil or whatever. I probably okay. got that mispronounced and backwards, but whatever. You know, she's always wanted to have. Uh, this courtly, beautiful, uh, true knight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess Pod is probably, like, if he uh, continues learning from Brienne, gets a little bit more backbone and uh, a little bit more polish, a little bit more wor- worldliness. But I just feel like that Sansa seems a lot smarter and more astute than her than him at this point. So oh, for sure. I, I just yeah. don't think... Uh, like you, you get you, you take you take Pod's knighthood and Tyrion's wittiness, and maybe you'd have something. But mm-hmm. Maybe that she takes two husbands. What about uh, she, has, Tr- Tr- she has Tyrion to amuse her and Pod to to do the other things. Yeah, 
What do you what do you go say? for? It. What what about Tristane? Is that his name? Tristan Tristane? Didn't he die? I think he might have died. Thought yeah. I'm not sure. He was on a boat writing a letter or something. That was the last I remember him. But... Oh no, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. He got killed at the that that was one of the. Oh, the sand snakes killed him. Yeah, 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 yeah. stabbed him through his face. That that didn't happen. And, uh, no. <laughs> and then also like before anyone says I we 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 don't like we don't like the John and Sansa pairing at this podcast. <laughs> No, not really. A little, little too gross. Yeah, it's cousins. It's not, you know, brother-sister, but right. still. Right. Mm. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Yeah. A <laughs> little, little, little gross. And I get it. They're not really brother and sister, but they raised that, and I think that's the important thing. Sure. Yeah. All right. Um, Annie H., who else was surprised about seeing a celeb camo in GOT? Never really thought I'd see the, set, uh, see the day. Even though his character said it was a new song, which presumably means he made it up, I can't help but think there must be something to this i mean hands of gold immediately brings jamie to mind i'm really intrigued by that line around the chain and a keep any thoughts from y'all on this aaron doesn't make you think of anything from your vast game of thrones cache of knowledge Whew, i'm blushing like the words of the song he's singing yeah so this is actually a song from the book um and this is old old news in the second book um there's this singer who tried to blackmail Tyrion because uh, he became aware of Tyrion's tryst with shay uh, his name was Simeon Silvertongue, and he sung this this Hands of Gold uh, as a reference to Tyrion's rank of hand, because in the book, not only did he have the gold pin of the hand, but he also wears this chain of office, which is an interlocking uh, golden hands. Like, the mm-hmm. chains are all hands holding on to each other. And he also uh, uses that necklace to strangle Shay at, you know, in, in, in the, the climactic point of the book. Nice. Um so this Hands of Gold was uh, this song that, the, that the, the singer used to subtly try to blackmail Tyrion. Tyrion had Bronn kill him, and then they made stew out of him <laughs> that they served out in Flea Bottom. Oh, Jesus. So, Wait, I, why? Because uh, Tyrion's not going to be blackmailed by some fucking singer. Yeah, but he doesn't have to feed human bits to the Flea Bottom people. Well, he also doesn't want a body being discovered in the, the city. I feel like that's a cruel joke yeah, on the Flea Tyrion's Bottomers. Not a cu- Tyrion's not a fucking cuddly guy, man. Uh, not in the books, anyway, I he's guess. Pretty, he can be pretty fucking... Well, he strangled his lover and murdered his father. I like, feel like those were those were justifiable. Justified? Yeah. All right, Raylan. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, but that's that's the background. I felt like that was just um, a little bit of uh, a goose to book readers because, number one, it's it's a way to get another one of these, like, Baron and Maiden Fair type things. Uh, anything besides Baron and Maiden Fair and fucking yeah. Reigns of Castamere... Also, it's a little hint to the fact that, like, if the Lannister soldiers are singing this, it's kind of a mockery of Tyrion. So it's maybe a repudiation of the Lannister. There's a lot going on yeah. there is what I'm saying. Cool. But that's, that's, that's the only thing I can bring to it. Alan P., I was listening to your feedback preview podcast and I had a comment about the part of Sansa figuring out that Littlefinger is behind the killing of her father. Wasn't the Hound in the throne room when Littlefinger took Ned prisoner? The Hound is heading north where he could potentially meet up with John and Sansa. When he arrives, wouldn't he scream, "What? why the fuck is Littlefinger here? He killed your father. <laughs> or am I remembering the series of events wrong? You're not, sir. Uh, no. The Hound no. was in the throne room. So that is a excellent... Between that and the picture of the uh, sketch of the dagger, uh, there's two different ways that Littlefinger could get hitched up here. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. He'd say fook, though. He wouldn't say fuck. Uh, Caitlin... Do you think Sam knows Jorah's at Old Town? Is that a prison or what? Why does his grayscale look black burnt instead of the gray stone look like season five showed us? Does Sam even know Jorah? I don't think so. No. Um, now, it would be he would definitely recognize his life. If he finds out that it's a Mormon, he would definitely. I, house, I wonder if that's yeah. going to be a way for them to make conversation. Oh, boy. Um, as far as the look, I mean, I guess 
I, I can't really comment much on that without getting into spoiler territory. Um, I could make the observation that maybe that's supposed to be what it looks like when it's pustulant because, mm-hmm. again, he's shut up there. Looks like he, he's shitting on the floor and rolling around in it, and there's no light. I mean... Yeah, it's a bad scene. It just looks, yeah, looks like he needs some Valtrex. Uh, he's got full body herpes. Uh, <laughs> Chelsea T. I love, I found a scene with the hound looking into the fire. Um, shoot, I lost my place. Uh, I found a scene with the hound looking into the fire and seeing the future very odd. I half expected his vision to be a joke that ends with him turning to Barrack and calling him a cunt. Can we get a count of how many times he said that word this episode? Uh, yeah, he's a prolific cunter. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyways, vision seeming uh, that that is a good point. Like I didn't see this, but I got a lot of people wrote in and said that they, they thought that he was going to he was just taking him for a ride because it's so surprising the hound could just step up and look into the fire, you know? Yeah. Uh, anyway, his vision being seemingly legit makes me think that his part in the story is way more important than just the click 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 gain bowl level. What are you guys' thoughts on him potentially being the prince that was promised? Thoros has oh. taken a liking to him. I'm really intrigued with him being way more important than we all thought. Oh boy. Woo. Real dark horse candidate. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of that theory before. Real, real dark horse candidate. Um, the problem is if you uh, if you look at the theories about the prince or the, the actual prophecies about the prince's promise and descriptions, which some of them are in the show, some are in the books. Um, it, it doesn't seem like the hound really fits any of them. Hmm. So that would be, I guess, my, my concern uh, with the whole thing. Uh, do you have anything? Else, any other comments? No. Moving on, Stephen J. In the instant cast, you guys discussed Danny walking by the throne of Dragonstone as possible evidence for Westerosi democracy. It's her end game. My take on that scene was that she was walking by the throne because it's not her end goal, which is the Iron Throne. I think we talked about this. Well, so. sure. Little little yeah. slice of dry pie there, Stephen. Sorry about that. Wash it down to some Arbor Gold. Uh, Stephen S. You both were discussing the failure of House Lannister to defend Dragonstone. I was thinking it was some of their better strategy. A, we know Ned put it under siege so it can't support itself food-wise, and Danny has a very large army to feed. Two, it limits the Dothraki, as they are, of course, heavy cavalry. Uh, two, in the open sea battle, the dragons would be decisive. However, in Blackwater Bay fight, Cersei could attempt another fireship strategy against the concentrated fleet. It seems they let her take the worst possible place for her, as opposed to somewhere like the Reach or Dorne. So do you think that... We could see this as a tactical decision by Cersei and Jamie to allow her to take Dragonstone. No, I think they were unprepared. Yeah, because uh, I, 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 I don't want to grant Cersei as any kind of strategic genius about anything. Yeah, and I don't think Jamie was back in time to do anything about it. They had just fought this battle at River Run, right? right? So I think he's just arriving home about the same time that Danny is taking Dragonstone. Yeah. Uh, so no, I think it's an oversight. But but I mean, those are fair points about yeah. Dragonstone. Indeed. Uh, all true things, I suppose. Because uh, that's the way. It's like, if you want to see it that way, then there's nothing wrong from you headcanoning in that. Yeah. And those are all good points. Tom H. Had a quick thought based on your preview podcast and the instant take. Why do you say to Jamie or the Hound have to die? You mentioned they have committed atrocities uh, and atrocious acts in the past, but their good deeds since don't make up for them, and they have to die still. But why? I think this is because... We're assigning our 21st century morals to fictional characters who live in a medieval time where, in a non-fantasy history, the bad guys often live happily ever after. In real human history, Cersei might have gone on to live her whole life happily. I mean, Stalin is arguably the worst killer in history, uh, 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 arguably worse than even Hitler, and was dis- died of natural causes after killing tens of millions of his own people. Yeah, um, I, I think it has something to do with the way that 
Martin writes, right? In his discussions thing, like, of karmic uh, consequence. I think it's funny when people are like, oh, you're assigning 21st century. Well, you know who's writing this? A, yeah. a, a fairly liberal 21st century guy. Right. Um, I mean, if you look at his blogs and his writings, like, you know, he's got a certain worldview, and you would expect that worldview to eventually be re- reflected in, in, in his stories. Now, that's a big question we're always asking ourselves. What is Martin playing at? Mm-hmm. Is he going to continue to subvert tropes and happy endings to the bitter end? Um, I've heard the ending uh, described in, in, as George originally envisioned it as bittersweet, which means it's not going to be saccharine, but it's also not going to be uh, you know unrelenting, unrelentingly oppressive. Uh, so that's that's the thing, like that that and i also started to think of like how many bad guys in this show have gotten away scot free sure good people have died for no reason but i can't think of a single evil character who has not come to a bad end mm-hmm. i mean you still got the ones that are still playing the game but like do you does, do people honestly think cersei's making it out do people think euron's going to make it out like, right I, don't. And, I mean when we say you know they have to die or they have to pay these consequences we're talking loosely um, we're using those terms loosely about a potential narrative payoff, exactly. right? Like the the structures of storytelling are what we're talking about. And right. I, I think when we say, oh, this character has to die because of what they've done in the past, it's not satisfying if you don't do that right. um, in a lot of cases. And maybe George Martin doesn't want to write a satisfying story. He wants to write what he views as a realistic story, which, you know, maybe leaves a couple dragons out of it. But uh my point is, like, when we talk about this, we're talking about narrative stuff, right. not necessarily like, oh, it has to be this way because, you know, that's how I feel about it or anything. It's like this yeah. is just what makes a satisfying story. I thought I had, and a... he could always go the other way, but we're we're talking about like what would make it satisfying, right? And we don't know the answer to that, but it's just you know, I think it's a fair point to ponder. I thought I had yeah. another book in where someone had a defense of Jamie. Uh, I thought I, I I put these together as you know as a narrative uh, <laughs> device myself, and uh, hope I'll, hopefully I'll, I'll get to that. But um, and you never know when enough it. is enough as far as payment for your previous sins. Exactly. Right? So like when we say, oh, maybe Jamie's already paid for his sins with his hand, you know, or right. the hound with his face, and you know he prepaid, um, right? Yeah, that kind of stuff. You just don't know. Yeah. How far does George want to go with that? And we also their stories are still being told. Like Jamie could have a moment where. He sins again for like you know like he decides he at the end of the, he can't go against Cersei because it's a sister and he's loved her and every possible way he can love a sister for <laughs> since they popped out of the womb. Uh-huh. Um, you know he could he could be a tragic figure that way to where he just betrays everything he stood for because of the love for uh, his woman. I don't know. We'll see. What is Martin playing at? No one knows. I don't know if Martin knows these days. Ben M, I've been thinking about Daenerys breaking the wheel theory. What if she sets up a parliamentary government and then the last scene she kills Drogon herself, putting an end to the rule of her house? My God, is Danny going to murder her own children to ensure huh. a democratic rule over Westeros? That seems uh, uh, <laughs> that seems a little extreme, right? But also, I I don't dislike it. I mean, d- dragons would be a tool for tyranny. Like anything that right. anything that's an unbeatable weapon for good in the wrong hands is an unbeatable weapon for evil. Right. So it stands to reason if she wanted to really make sure Westeros was going to be in the hands of the people that she would not have one side having nuclear weapons and the others literally sticks and stones. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, whew, that would be a scene. Mm-hmm. That would be a scene. 
So it doesn't require subtlety, so I think she could pull it off. <laughs> it does. No, like uh, she could she could use her powerful and mildly bummed out face, <laughs> right? And maybe set her clothes on fire, and you'd have something. Um, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Luke KD, my question, are we really all cool with Arya Stark killing an entire family and wiping out a whole house in the process? Yep. 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 Yep, we are. <laughs> it's Next the phrase. Email. Yes, Next we are. Email. Uh, I'll, get, I'll let you close out your argument. Uh, yes, yeah. we know it's only Walder Frey who Arya initially named on her kill list. Yes, there's blood on their hands too, but no more so than the family members of the Umbers and the Karstarks, right. who yeah. Jon Snow shows mercy to in the very same episode. Let's not forget that Robert Baratheon pardoned all the loyalists loyalist following his rebellion. Um, the difference being they all betrayed yes. and murdered her family. And also, we're seeing a, tra- a little subtle transformation in Arya here. Like, mm. this scene with the Lannisters might be her starting to get more of an even keel so, as far as her humanity. Mm-hmm. But also, like, I'm not going to feel sorry for the phrase. I mean, I, yeah. and I felt like they did enough to show... A, these were all phrase with an active hand in murdering the entire Stark household and all their loyal bannermen in the most cra- cowardly, craven, mm-hmm. Moore's disrespecting way that you can in Westeros. And they also showed Arya sparing the non-combatants. Right. So she's not just like totally fucking evil. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, but you're you can be disturbed by that. Yeah. Like that's that's been Arya's kind of shtick the whole time. Like. We're rooting for this little traumatized girl to to kill people real mm-hmm. good. That's that's uncomfortable, and that's that's an interesting dramatic possibility to play with. So, moving on, Jeremiah T. Uh, this is the negative email. I've been majorly, uh, but but not a not a. I mean, I'd say it's minority, but not like a, a tiny minority. Hmm. Uh, I've been majorly hyped up so that anything short of the Battle of the Hard Home Blackwater Bastards would have felt like a disappointment. Yep. But I have to give this episode a middling to failing grade. It started strongish with the opposite or poisoning of the phrase, I guess, but the scene had none of the power of last year's close shave, and the haha faceless man mask peel is officially played out. I cannot see it anymore. It's such a low rent move. I think we're in broad agreement about the latter point. Yeah, I don't want to see that too many times. They, they need to be very careful how much they play the faceless man stuff from mm-hmm. here on out. Uh, from there, it moved into a lot of talking. What, to- what if Arya's just edge here and for the rest of the season? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. And then she rips off the mask and it's uh, oh, how... fucking Katy Perry. <laughs> or Lady Gaga. Which would be more shocking? Uh, why not do them both? How many masks does she wear? She's, the, time? she's the dude from Die Antwoord. How, how pissed off would the fans be? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, like... Boy, you get the wrong kind of troll personality, and yeah. you've taken George's legacy from him. You could really do <laughs> some goddamn damage. You, you could, could do some. Vi- you could start a fr- probably a war, a shooting war, if you wanted to. <laughs> um, from there is a lot of talky talk. I had expectations of Jamie and Cersei's first interaction on camera would be a blow up, but how could it not be? Instead, we get a very tame interaction with Jamie whining that they haven't even talked about Tommen. Giving Jamie's background as the guy who saved King's Landing from wildfire at the cost of his reputation, I expected a little more from him. I think I already defended that viewpoint, so that's the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. Speaking of your on where to start, first question, do you shop at New Rockstar's House of Leather? But most importantly, where'd you get all those ships? That hasn't been a year. You built them. Cersei's hair is still short, and I don't believe she's going to that look on purpose. How did the relatively unpopulated, unforested Iron Islands come up with the thousands of ships in such a short time? Are they renting? 
Uh, then Euron's preening performance in front of the show throne, the whole thing was a hot mess. The rest is either workmanlike or forgettable. Huh. Yeah, I, I, I agree with some points of that. I disagree strongly with others. And we talked in the preview podcast, like you gotta overlook yeah. time like the tra- the jetpacking and all that, but this is logistically indefensible. Sure. There's yeah. no fucking way this guy got all of his ship stolen. Uh-huh. And he comes rolling up with a fleet that he purported to have a thousand be a thousand ships. Yeah, in we, a matter of weeks. There's no fucking way. No way. And we said that when Yara stole all the ships. And, and, in the first and unlike place, so. other times, they carefully established a timeline here because uh, Walder Frey, as Arya said, I know it's rare for me to feast you two fortnights in a row. So right. presumably two weeks have elapsed since the previous episode. Uh-huh. And maybe a couple more. Not long enough to build a thousand fucking warships of this size and complexity. It's right. it's ridiculous. Um my 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 hope is that it's a bluff that Euron doesn't have these many ships. So he's counting on getting something that will so impress Cersei that she'll overlook that. And because I yeah, I just like if they expect us to believe a thousand <laughs> ships get made. Just, I, I mean, he has a lot of ships, not a thousand. I don't think that we right. saw, but a hundred. Unless six of At them, six hundred of them are Gendry class rowboats. Right. I, I'm not buying it. And I don't even think. I don't think you could build one ship in two weeks. No. With the technology they have. Yeah. I'm surprised and, I don't know how long it would take to build a wooden ship. It I think seems, it would take a long time. Yeah, it seems like it was months, if not years, to do a single one. That's That would be my guess, too. And then you got to think, okay, they sailed it right. to King's Landing. Which that's not... That's not. I mean, you I mean that sail, alone you would probably all, take a couple, probably a week or two to sail around, right, from the Iron Islands all the way around uh, to the because it's on the opposite coast. So they of effectively Westeros. had zero time, right, to build any ships. I mean, they're using the replicators from Star Trek. The next, they got the yeah. Utopia Planitia <laughs> shipyard just pushing buttons. Yeah, <laughs> some Rick and Morty shit happening. Um, yeah, I, that's it's. I mean, I'm consciously choosing to overlook it because if you're going to say this is bullshit and dumb and they're not even trying anymore, then mm-hmm. the season the season's over before it even began for you. And that would be sad. Yeah, Daniel J. Uh, something came up in your preview episode. Oh, sorry. Um, these are the two bookmarked ones, book book ended ones, uh, and two Daniels. Daniel J. is first. There's something that came up in your preview episode, and again, your instant take of last night's episode. That'd be curious to hear you explain more. Aaron, a few times you discussed the potential fate of characters like the Hound and the Jamie in terms of the story arcs meeting a definition of justice. This surprised me since it was my understanding that Martin had tried to make his fictional universe as real as possible by removing an omniscient and justice-wielding god force. In other words, in the real world, the good and the bad die alike. Sometimes people pay their sins, sometimes they don't, and so it goes in Martin's books. So there's part one. We largely talked about that already. Daniel Inn says, I want to talk about Jamie. You talked about how you feel Jamie must have a helping of Martin's justice coming his way, and that it feels strange that he seems amicable with Cersei. First, I think he take he took his has taken his fair share of karmic payback already. In fact, it seems that his story has been loosely written to show how his punishment fits his crimes. His attempts to murder Bran uh, has resulted in him losing all of his children. He proceeds to tear a family apart starting when he attacks Ned and now his own father is dead. Lancel betrays him, and uh, he is now also dead. His uncle Kevin disowns him, and he is also now dead. And, of course, his brother has now handed the queen to his enemy. He has used his fighting skills for selfish gain and lost his hand. You might even say that the Lannister family has not fared any better than the Starks, and perhaps even worse. 
I think Jamie's continued relationship with Cersei boils down to what you might call a sunk cost fallacy. <laughs> Should he leave her? Absolutely. He probably even knows this on some level. However, he's murdered for his sister and fought wars for his family. He put all of his eggs in the Lannister basket. Where else could he go? What does he have to offer if he leaves the Lannister name? Certainly not as prowess with the sword. In the end, I think Jamie's choice is between having nothing to live for and still living for Cersei. Uh, I... What really got me about this email here uh, of Daniel Inns is that it does seem like Jamie has paid a pretty high price for the shit that he's pulled in his life. Yeah. Um, I have a tendency to forget that these are Jamie's children as well. Right, right. Um, and, and I think of them in prophecy terms right. as they mean more to Cersei. Right, they're like a scoreboard. Right. But it, I guess, yeah, he has lost just as much, if not more, than Cersei at this point. Right. And, like, he almost killed Bran while all of his children died. Right. Um, he, you know, uh, he tried to extinguish the Starks and his own line has been snuffed out. Like there is a little symmetry there that maybe, I mean, I'm not quite on the full, I think Jamie's fine and he's going to get off scot-free, but I, it seems like he's pretty on even, even footing with the, the hound. The only way the hound has a little bit more of a karmic bump is the hound had no chance. He was born into a life of bullshit, whereas Jamie had everything going for him and, uh, you know, didn't make the best best choices. But you could also make an argument that Jamie tried to do the right thing and was constantly being subverted by his father and his sister. Yeah, and the thing I always come back to with Jamie is the, the killing of the Mad King, right? Yeah. Um, and how that is such a defining moment in his life. Right. Um, the problem I have with he and Cersei's relationship at this point is that She's done the same thing, and he doesn't seem to be calling her out for it. Right. Uh, now, maybe Jamie's changed so much along the way or lost so much along the way that he's unwilling to do that now, but mm-hmm. I guess I I don't know. Like, personally, I'm not seeing it. I don't know why mm. he would change his mind on that. Right. Especially when he's fighting for the realm in these conversations, right? Like, we need food. We need to hole up for the winter here. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel like he's still fighting a little bit for the realm, whereas Cersei's all for Cersei. And that's, like I said, that's consistent with his characters. I, I feel like if, yeah. you, if you read the books, you come away with the impression that Jamie wanted to be that true knight that, like, you know, like Dunk, like like Sir Duncan the Tall and Sir Barristan the Bold. He wanted to be that shining example of the realm, and things just didn't work out that way because he loved his sister, and that's a love that can never be... And, and, and in a way that Cersei always seemed a little bit more malevolent, like Cersei tortured... Tyrion as a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know he killed his. Cersei had this obsession with uh, this uh, this this witch that had, had her do terrible things. You know, Cersei never loved Jaime the way Jaime loved her. I don't think because she was all too willing to leave Jaime for the fact that oh, I get to marry the king now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're 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 different in that way. Um, so I don't know. Maybe there is room for his redemption. I'm a little bit more open to it than I was last week. Thanks in large part to Daniel here. Uh, Henry. Ario slash Walter Frey said, this is the finest arbor gold as the servants poured red wine. Literally unwatchable. <laughs> it wasn't white. Uh, yeah, it's supposed to be. I mean, is that it? seems like an unforced error. Like, come on. No one in the production knew the arbor gold is canonically I mean, the a white sound wine. Of it, the sound of it alone, arbor yes. gold. Yes. Gold, to me, says a white wine. It does. Like, you could say, like, well, maybe it's like gold, or, you know, like a gold standard. Right. Like and premium. Right. But, like, I still think, that, and, and again, canonically, it's a white. So, what the fuck? Literally unwatchable. I agree. In fact, we're not doing the podcast <laughs> yeah. anymore. Everything's all canceled, yeah. done. 
I don't need the last 12. <laughs> Josh F., back in season one and two, Sansa literally went through the same thing as the Car Starks and Umber children are going through now. After Ned was arrested for treason, Sansa was brought into a room with Cersei and her council, and she said that she had traitor's blood. That bias against Sansa's traitor's blood continued through season four. Now hmm. she's essentially doing the same thing against Umber and Karstark children. She did learn a lot from Cersei. See, that's the thing. Like, you're saying this as a negative, Josh, but I'm seeing this like that was incredibly effective. Like, not only, <laughs> oh, okay. did, not only did they shit completely on Sansa, but she had to be twice as loyal and twice as, like, I, I feel like that maybe the lesson she learned from there is, like, that's not a bad way to go. Hmm. Like, use someone's guilt and fear to, to get their compliance. You know, I don't. Am I as, as opposed there? to appealing to their honor yeah. and loyalty, like yeah. Ned would? Yeah, uh, well, it's, it's not I, like, I think there's a balance that right. you have to strike. And I'm not saying she would go after them, but but the people that have actually betrayed her mm-hmm. house, maybe that's not from her pro- pro- point of view. Maybe that's not uh, a terrible thing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't. I I just thought that was uh, that was interesting. Connor A. in South Carolina, heard y'all's instant take, and you said you wouldn't be surprised if the next episode, Ed, Sharon's, Sharon's Lannister crew were all strung up and gutted. I'm 99% sure that won't happen due to guest rights. In the episode, they offer Arya food, and she is hesitant in accepting because she knows uh, that if she does, she'll be bound by the laws of guest right and not be able to kill them without violating that sacred bond. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, she doesn't seem like she wants to kill them. She seems like she's worried they're going to kill her. Hmm. And once the the guest right thing happens, she's already kind of warmed up to them a little. Why does she then say, "I've come to kill the queen"? That she know? Did she know that I was going to be passed off as a joke? Because it seems like that's a, that was at that point an open challenge to them. You think so? Yeah. I mean, what the hell? I mean, it's, I guess they have some duty to kill her at that point. I don't know. If they, th- if they take her seriously, she right. did nothing to betray that she was joking until they started laughing first. So, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. If she does gut this crew, it's going to tell us something decisive about her character. Mm. If she doesn't, then it's going to show that there is some vestigial code that she is not a hypocrite enough to get vengeance on the phrase for violating ve- guest right and murdering her family, and she's not going to stoop to that level. Yeah. So... But, but the stakes are very clear. If she does, then it's going to tell us very something very important about her character. Yeah. James S., if John agreed to Sansa and gave the ancestral homes of Umbers and the Car Starks to other loyal members, doesn't that set up John losing Winterfell if Danny conquers Westeros? As Tywin said, when enemies defy you, you must serve them steel and fire. When they uh, fall to their knees, however, you must help them back to their feet. Elsewise, no man will ever bend the knee to you. I guess I don't want to see what this has to do with John fighting a war against the conquest of Danny. Because if she conquers him, then it's not like John swore an oath of allegiance to her. Right. Like, he was rebelling against this bullshit kingdom, which even Danny would probably see. And he was made the, you know, the rightful king in the north. And uh, he took his chances and he lost a dragon. So is she going to punish him for that? It's like, it's not like he broke an oath. Um, yeah. that's, and that's not what Aegon did. So, I, and I honestly don't see a war between John and Danny ever breaking out here. I don't think that's a battle they need to fight. Um, I don't think it's something they need or should to fight. I just think it would right. be an interesting dramatic possibility. Yeah, I just don't think it's going to happen. I All mean, right. like you know, we can speculate on it if you want to. You're off the Mad Queen bandwagon for Danny. I think so. There's still room on the wagon. That that <laughs> wagon is not nearly capacity yet, Jim. 
No, I, I realize that, <laughs> and I'm not sure. I've, I've got one foot dangling off. I'm ready okay. to jump off okay. at any moment. Uh, Quinn B., not necessarily related to this episode, but something I'm not hearing anyone talk about. Are we ever going to see a dragon killed? Seeing dragons die is not something I want to see, but I think it needs to happen to add some complexity to the living versus walker plot. Otherwise, do we just assume Danny plows through any foe in her way? Just many questions here. Who would kill a dragon? How do you kill a dragon? Uh, as they are, they just even more intense version of giants in terms of health. Thinking of all the spears that took down to take one one, would it be fifty times that for a dragon? Or is there some secret soft spot akin to the Death Star? They're scrote. Their scrote is completely unarmored and disproportionately large for a flying speed. Yeah, they have they true. haven't shown it because it hasn't been a good angle, but my god, it's like two mammoths dangling between Drogon's legs. Um, <laughs> I. Um, I, again, I'm aware the dragons are not in, we already talked about this a bit. It's a little bit of dry pie, but just to reiterate, dragons are not invincible in this world. They're canonically vulnerable to like those scorpion things. Those like giant crossbows. Those have killed them. Or whatever they're called. Uh, they're, they're, they're very susceptible to civil war. Mm. Uh, like when you have a dance of dragon situations where like, if there's some schism that would arise within dra- Danny's forces where they would, uh, steal allegiance of dragons from her, um, and then, of course, you know, you can just overwhelm a dragon. Like, a dragon can fall through, you know, being uh, littered with arrows or spears. Now, the older the dragon gets, the hotter the fire and the harder the scales. Um, but there again, Danny's dragons are not exactly that that old. So, yeah, um, it, it'd be interesting. I, I, I think you're right. I, I would be surprised if all three dragons survived to the end because uh, Danny losing even one of those dragons would be a pretty huge opportunity for her to be bummed out and powerful yeah yeah i, I think it it adds <laughs> a lot for amelia the the the, the, the stretch <laughs> it has a lot of dramatic possibilities yeah. um killing a dragon so i i would be interested in seeing it uh jasmine a just thought about this after seeing the giants as whites will one of these snatch a dragon out of the sky we get our hearts broken <laughs> again seeing hodor as a zombie how low are these dragons gonna fly they definitely didn't burn his body um. Uh, yeah. The How thing high is, can a giant jump? The That's giant's the like other three times bigger than a four times bigger than a human. Like, mm-hmm. did you see fucking the dragons? Enormous calves. Though. Yeah. Enormous quads and calves on those giants. But they're still not going to be able to snatch a dragon they out can, of the sky. They can leap like you wouldn't believe. Now, would I believe that like a dragon's arrow or crossbow could like uh, a giant's a crossbow or or, air, or arrow or spear could do a lot of damage to it? Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think they're. I don't think they're going to be swatting them out of fly, the 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 skies like flies. I feel like the dragon has committed a serious tactical error. Yeah, if they're allowed if they allow a giant to swat them out of the sky. Sure. Do we think we'll see Hodor as a zombie? I'm probably. Yeah. I, yeah. It's yeah. super likely. I mean, they showed the one little wildling woman that we kind of had a minor attachment in a, in an episode two. Uh-huh. Um, I. Why wouldn't he? Yeah, and, and it would be it would be a real kick in the crotch, which makes me think it's definitely going to happen. Uh, a lot of people mm-hmm. ask me if one if if the giant the one of the ice giants is one one. I, I don't think so because one one died in Winterfell, and the right. the whites are all north. I'm sure they burned him, right? Yeah, uh, pro- yeah, you'd think. Is there that much lumber in Winterfell? <laughs> well, I, I just mean I wouldn't want that thing coming back, right. and John knows. So right. Uh, the other question is: Some people said, "Well, maybe that was Bran seeing a future possibility of like you know this was the army." But I, I don't know. We've always seen Bran in his visions, right? Have we? 
I, think, I guess, he, yeah, I'm trying to think of it even in the early when he was still a little boy, if there was any of those crow visions that didn't have him. And Maybe the one where he's kind of a wolf going into the the yeah uh, caves, the tombs, whatever they're right. called, catacombs. Yeah. Uh, but recently, I've, we've always seen him in his visions. Yeah. Like I said, that it could be, but it's it hasn't been established one way or another yet. How about this? Yeah. So we know that Hodor went out holding the door, right? Yes. Uh, what if he's the one who takes down the door through the wall? What if he gets under there and lifts it up? He'd be Odor then. <laughs> right, he'd be... Open the door. Ro... Roha... Rodo. What is that? Wreck the door? Hodor backwards. Oh. <laughs> Rodo. Oh, you're, Hashtag you're, Rodo. Start it up. You're a fuss away from having a dragon shout, man. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. Uh... Lauren H., uh, can we talk about Edmure, Edmure Tully? In the season six finale, Walter tells Jamie that Edmure is back in chains. I was hoping to see hmm. Arya find out her uncle was still in the dungeon below the twins or River Run and go release him. With the phrase dead, he could retake River, River Run and then boom, there's another ally for the Starks. An uncle meeting his badass niece for the first time and learning that she just killed the phrase. A lot of potential for a great slash interesting scene. You're right. I'm actually kind of surprised that you know they they if if they can get to Edmure uh, and and solidify the um uh, the the Riverlands that would be a nice nice feather for uh, John's John's cap. Yeah. Uh, she also asks, "What about Ghost? Do you think they're essentially just writing the wolf out of the show? He wasn't in last season after John is resurrected. He wasn't at the Battle of the Bastards and wasn't at Winterfell afterwards either." Um. I mean, I know that the director said the only reason he wasn't in the Battle of the Bastards is because they had to make it. They had to make a budget decision about animating one one or the wolf, mm. and they went with one one. Yeah. Uh, now, why they couldn't fucking composite a giant white wolf is laying at Rob's feet, or even just have a stuffed one? I I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I don't. I don't think they're going to write. I don't think they're going to write that character out. That I, I think, think they're they saving would, the budget. Yeah, they would have. They would have a lot of people screaming. About mm-hmm. something like that. Phil uh, and Indy. I found myself laughing at the idea of Ice King Coors light commercial you mentioned in the Instant <laughs> Cast. That got me thinking about some other commercial tie-ins. Oh, How about one where Arya leads a group of protesters through the streets of King's Landing and hands the zombie mountain a Pepsi? <laughs> Too soon, man. Too soon. <laughs> Don't give Pepsi any ideas. Um, Tom W. I'm curious to know how you think Grayscale is going to feature in the end game. The fact that the showrunners have decided to keep this plot in the show makes me think that Grayscale will have some significant impact uh, in 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 the proceedings. Do you guys have any theories? I really don't you, see. You it. had you used to have like Grayscale equals immunity to dragon fire equals. All right. Something I don't know. Yeah, that, well, that was the problem. The Grayscale <laughs> plus question question mark equals uh-huh. profit, and it had a question mark. But yeah, at this point, it seems too late to really do much with Grayscale. I mean, uh, aside from like the Dragon Glass to yeah. Danny to like I. I mean, after this, week, I don't we, know. We and and like all the little hints that they've put to its uh, you know the Obsidian's medicinal medicinal properties. Um, right. It seems like it's going to be important, but I'll be damned if I know how. Yeah. Like I, I mean it. It would would it seem silly like if that gives you some kind of resistance to fire to like come up with some kind of inoculation you could give to all the unsullied so they're fireproof so they can more effectively fight alongside the dragons. Is it something Maybe. the Night's King can use but to like, make how the white fireproof? Is that, you know, like do you if you've got dragons overhead blowing fire, do you really need the unsullied in there? Right. 
Yeah. Is that going to be That's more effective question. at all? Well, I mean, they, they probably a have little to be, bit. They but... have to probably have to be supported by foot troops or. Yeah, I, d- I don't know. I don't see the importance of it, but it's clearly still there. All right. Um, Virgil in California. After Arya's scene, I'm beginning to detect a pattern. She killed the entire line of phrase between season six, episode 10, and last night's episode. Sansa killed Ramsay Bolton with the hounds, ending the line of House Bolton. Brienne avenges her king by killing Stannis, ending the line of House Baratheon, except for maybe Gendry, who is never recognized as legitimate. The Sand Snakes ended House Martell in last season's opener. While Cersei didn't kill all the Tyrells, she killed all the legitimate heirs, and Lady Olenna is too old to have another child. So far, five houses all ended by women, and Danny has just landed on Westeros. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting little girl power note that uh, the women have essentially destroyed the world of the men here. Or yeah. well on their way. Uh, huh. I wonder if that has any tie-in with the, you know, destroying the wheel. Um, taking out these dynasties. On a related note, Diana L., I really love the conversation between Sansa and Jon Snow about their father and Cersei. Sansa says her father protected her from how dirty the world really is. Her father didn't prepare her for the world as he prepared his sons. Directly after that, Sansa describes Cersei in a negative but admirable light. Although Cersei was horrible to Sansa, she did teach her things her father never did, but prepared her for the world. She prepared her in the worst possible way, but still prepared her. Mm-hmm. Sansa started out weak and lacking confidence, and now she's strong enough to question John in front of his men and describe to John the importance of a ruler not having blind followers. A powerful message of strength and growth for Sansa, and therefore for women in general. I hope Sansa doesn't become as heartless as Cersei, but it didn't seem as if Sophie Turner acted those lines out of malice or bitterness as Cersei would have, although time will tell. Yeah, I'm still up in air about... Uh, I mean, all everything you said is true. I'm just up in the air about the last part about... How is it going to work out? You know, like Sansa says, yeah, it's a dangerous thing. Yes, I think that that being taught in that way, I think, can have effects on people that maybe they even don't understand. Yeah, themselves. It's like throwing a kid into the deep end of the pool to teach him to swim. They might learn to swim, but they might not come away with a crippling fear of water. Yeah, uh, or they might realize what a great tool for torture water is yeah. and start waterboarding yeah. people. Like, right? You just don't know how they're going to use it, how it's going to affect them. So. I'm yeah I'm up in the air where where Sansa is going to land on this mm-hmm. and it's scary honestly because I do like her as a character and I think all the things you said about her growing and being much stronger more confident are true I just don't, hope she doesn't go overboard with it uh, Adam had a question about Bran's green seeing the fact that he was able to apparently do some green seeing or warging without being uh, touching a, a weirwood tree um, okay I mean that's a true statement um we do know that canonically the the the, the th- three-eyed raven says that you know you start with the trees because they're the easiest things and then eventually it's almost like that's a crutch that you don't need um so i guess my question are we supposed to see that this is brands developing as a green seer is he more powerful now uh could be, but I mean, he kind of started that way, didn't he? I mean, warging into wolves. But he warged into a wolf he had a very personal relationship with. Okay. And then he warged into Hodor, who was a simpleton that yeah. he also had a close personal relationship with. And then he could green see through the trees, and now he's yeah. doing. Um, so, so I don't know. And it seems now like he's he was like seeing historical events and stuff. Yeah, without yeah, the yeah, tree. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool with saying he's, he's growing as a green seer. 
Uh, we're nearing the end here. Uh, Rebecca S. I had this nagging thought after last night's episode. Arya goes on her murder spree wearing Walter's fray face. He tells uh, tells his family supporters they should have made sure to kill every last Stark because a lone wolf will kill them all. Meanwhile, she kills everyone except Walter's wife and servants. Is this foreshadowing? Kindness? Stupidity on her part? Shouldn't the little wolf be practicing what she preaches? They're not wolves. Yeah, those aren't wolves. Those are sheep. And you guys think Arya started off before she went through this process uh Sticking dudes in flea bottom with needle, mm-hmm. no problem. Uh, and she's been tutored by the first Lord of Bravos. She's been tutored by a faceless man. She's been tutored by the Hound. Like unless unless Lord Walder's seventh teenage wife can have that same experience, and I, I'm not really afraid for the Starks. No, I'm more afraid for the the leftover phrase, like all the wives and daughters. Mm. What the hell are they going to do now? Yeah, they got to continue running, <laughs> running the twins. Well, that's another good point. Like what happens to. Well, in fact, let's not stit, so let's not steal Michael K's uh, okay. thunder. Uh, what's the significance of the phrase family going down entirely to the world at large? I think a subtle point of the Ed Shireen, Sharon Sharon <laughs> scene was to show that there is tr- turmoil in that region. There's now a vacuum of power and whoever seizes the bridge may change the dynamics of the wars to come. Clearly, this is intended for storytelling, but I can't figure out why. I don't know. They can't tell Maybe white reverse... from red wine. Are we sure that this is intended in the storytelling? We need the reverse Craster's Keep at the <laughs> Twins, where all the wives now start oh, taking right. all the men as their their concubines, concubines and breeders, sons and yeah, yeah. Sperm Just get dispensers. real gross up in the Twins. Uh huh. But it's like uh, it's it's lady dominated. Yeah, instead of male dominated. It's the inverse Caster. Uh, Craster. All right, I could I could get down with that, um, but he's right. Like the twins, they've established them as a very decisive choke point. If you have a large army, it's yeah. far more efficient to move north and south if you've got the the ability to go through the twins. Uh, so now yeah. that the fact that they're unoccupied, uh, what is that going to do vis a vis keeping the White Walkers north? What's that going to do uh, as far as keeping Cersei south? Um, interesting questions. I don't have the answer to. Yeah, and but who's... you're perceptive to put the, to pick those up. Like, who's going to find out that information first and be able to, to move, right? Right. Because I think if John finds that information, um, that the twins are all but abandoned. He can go secure him. He could go secure them, but will he? Maybe you know? I mean, Or does he think the greater threat is from the north and so they can have the south? And maybe, uh, you know, Pace, one of our emailers previously, the next episode we'll see Arya continue into the Riverlands and free her uncle. And she'll put him in charge of that. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, that is a... Uh, and then the other thing is, like, there was only 12 episodes to go. Maybe there's nothing to be made of this choke point. So, yeah, because you got flying dragons and a, a large army already north. Maybe you don't need it. Uh, Stephanie B. Watching season seven, episode one on Sunday tonight. I started seeing some pretty dif- uh, significant differences between Danny and John. This is particularly evident during the scene where we see Sansa contradicting John's decision regarding the Karstarks and Umbers. I can't help but feel even more strongly about the fact that Jon Snow was born to be a leader while Danny was not. Under ordinary circumstances, Danny wouldn't be anywhere near the Iron Throne's line of succession if the Mad King had not been defeated. Rhaegar not killed, and Danny's crazy molten-headed brother not killed by Drogo. The fact is, Danny has been pursuing something she never really had a claim to. In the same way that Jon has his King of the North status thrown upon him, the difference lies in the stark differences in their ability to make decisions. I see your pun. I don't care if you said no pun intended. You can't throw a stark in there and not <laughs> intend to pun. 
Uh, Danny was repeatedly made poor choices, caused harm, death, and heartache to people. She's determined to free and seems to f- uh, the feel the need to prove herself. It's as if she thinks that brash decisions are okay because who can stand against a woman with dragons? John, on the other hand, has been the level-headed and true child of Winterfell. Do we have any doubt that Danny would have taken the lands from the Umbers and the Karstarks? What do you think, Jim? Does Danny uh, go fire and blood here? Does she be? Was is she merciful? And we've seen her do both. We have, and and she seems to be very flip floppy, and and she's not, she's not a very experienced leader. She's getting more experienced. That's the, uh, the big same. Thing. The same is true of John. I think there are a lot of parallels between the two, right. other than you know, mad mad queen status potential. Right. Uh, but I, I think they're both still learning, and they're both prone to making mistakes. I don't know how they're going to shake out, right? But it's going to be interesting, I think. I mean, you know, you got you, you never can forget that Danny's story was that she was essentially her brother's sex slave yep. up until the moment that she rode Drogo cowboy style, cowgirl style, right? Turned into his sex slave, like. But but then she turned the tables on. But those were the first. That was yep. her first act of agency, mm-hmm. and you know, a, a lot of people that you know the, the the classic response of people being bored with Danny in Marine is, well, this is her training in the same way that John going to yep. the wall and learning the difference between, you know, his because he he he's all woe is me, but he had to learn like he had a relative life of privilege. There's like many lessons that he had to learn, but he had like, you know, a, a, a chain of command that's you know, he had corn half hand and he had the old bear, Jor Mormont, and he had uh advisors and friends and fucking uh, uh Ammon Targaryen, like all these old mm-hmm. steady hands that teach him things about leadership and command that were instrumental to when he finally had to take over. And and also he had Ned. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, he was a bastard, but Ned still thought it serious enough to teach him how to use arms and armor and um whereas Danny had none of those advantages. So mm-hmm. I tend to cut Danny more slack when it comes to this stuff. And also I do think there is a difference in their temperament that, you know, John was never as hot blooded and, and Targaryen ish, I guess, as, as his aunt. And John seems. So I guess the point that I agree with here is that John seems. Uh, Danny seems very eager to take on this leadership role and wants to be the leader, right? Wants to come conquer. Uh, John almost seems the opposite. John seems like he wants to do the thing that's right and nobody else is fucking doing it, so he's got to. He, he's almost a reluctant leader. Yeah, but do you think. Was Dan? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I guess Danny started flexing pretty early on in her. her she did Khaleesi role. the first time she strolls out of the fire. Yeah, it's but even then, over. before then, she was testing like you know, like, like getting off her horse and walking in right. the weeds until like she yeah. was doing things to kind of test how much power she had. So maybe yeah, she was off. But then again, you know, John was chasing as much honor and glory as that he thought befitted his station. I mean, that's the whole reason he went to the wall. They've responded to their success differently, I guess. Um, John seems to want to keep the notion of himself as a leader at arm's length here, yeah. whereas Danny very much leans into it. Right. It would be interesting to see their roles reversed. I mean, you'd have to envision a gender bender <laughs> world where the women were welcome at the wall, but like, <laughs> right. give John, um, you know, the power of a Drothraki horde and three dragons. And then send him on that journey versus Danny being at the wall and having that slow, mm-hmm. you know, methodical teaching of leadership and and martial skills and how to motivate people. It, it'd be interesting. I mean, it's it's a complete moot point because even if you did reverse them, it would never happen because Danny again is not not a man, right? Uh, and this is some kind of bullshit patriarchal nightmare that they're living in. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, there you go. That that is that is all of the feedback. Okay. So send any non fucking spoiler predictions to Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Um, and uh, we will consider them. And, and if you didn't get your email read and it had anything to do with spoilers, uh, know that there is a whole other podcast coming out at the end of this week, Friday afternoon, called the Spoiler Edition, where we talk about... Because uh, even though that the, the shows have eclipsed the books and have gone past them, there's still some nuggets. There's still some, some, mm. some, some prophecies and some evidence in the books that we can kind of use to guess and predict things in the show. And ours is always also fun to get into the backstory of the world and some of the world building that's, that's much more in the books and the, the, uh, the supporting materials. And that's what we're all about in the spoiler edition. Uh, so join us back Friday. It's still not too late to get your emails in for that. Um, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. All right. Well, I guess we'll see you guys on Friday. Yeah, we'll see you then. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Bye-bye. Episode 12 kind of explains the whole Black Lodge, White Lodge, Spirit Quest stuff in very plain language, and it stars a cross-dressing David Duchovny. (laughs) All right. Who I heard that he was a guest star, Uh and I'm like, oh, well, I want to see David Duchovny. When he walked in, uh, like David Duchovny from the mid-nose up is a beautiful woman. (laughs) From the mid-nose up. It all goes it's apart when you yeah. get to the the nose and the, the very mat. But like yeah. I I was like I was like because when he first walked in I'm like well, who the hell and I'm like oh shit this is David Duchovny. Um, I had did some... he have like a scarf over half his face? Or no, something? he just walked in. He had shaved his legs. Looks like his arms. Uh, he's wearing a wig and and very well done makeup and I'm a just, flattering dress. I'm confused as to where the div- division of the face came in. Is I that just something held, you mentally because I'm like because I was getting mixed seat like you know half the time my like I was getting like this is attractive vibe, and then half the time I was like, well, this is amazing. This know. is David Duchovny. Vibe. Um, so I actually took my hand out and I was doing this, and I'm like, I was like, Cecily, <laughs> like cover everything from the mid nose up. Like he's a he's a drop dead gorgeous late eighties woman, is he not? It's the Michelle Pfeiffer of of half faces. Yeah, yeah, he's like got this like young Demi Moore kind of thing going on, uh, and his eyes are very pretty. Wow. Okay. He's got. De- he's also. Well, what about couple- his hands? I hear his hands are pretty good. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I didn't notice. I did notice he had fairly nice legs.